This is Jocko Podcast number 213 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. Men. This stuff that some sources sling around about America wanting out of this war, not wanting to fight, is a crock of bullshit. Americans love to fight, traditionally. All Americans love the sting and clash of battle. You are here today for three reasons. First, because you are here to defend your homes and your loved ones. Second, you are here for your own self-respect because you would not want to be anywhere else. Third, you are here because you are real men and all real men like to fight. When you here, every one of you, were kids, you all admired the champion marble player, the fastest runner, the toughest boxer, the big league ball players, and the all-American football players. Americans love a winner. Americans will not tolerate a loser. Americans despise cowards. Americans play to win all of the time. I wouldn't give a hoot in hell for a man who lost and laughed. That's why Americans have never lost nor will ever lose a war. For the very idea of losing is hateful to an American. You are not all going to die. Only 2% of you right here today would die in major battle. Death must not be feared. Death in time comes to all men. Yes, every man is scared in his first battle. If he says he's not, he's a liar. Some men are cowards, but they fight the same as brave men, or they get to hell slammed out of them watching men fight who are just as scared as they are. The real hero is the man who fights even though he is scared. Some men get over their fright in a minute under fire. For some, it takes an hour. For some, it takes days. But a real man will never let his fear of death overpower his honor, his sense of duty to his country, and his innate manhood. Battle is the most magnificent competition in which a human being can indulge. It brings out all that is the best, and it removes all that is base. Americans pride themselves on being he-men, and they are he-men. Remember that the enemy is just as frightened as you are, and probably more so. They are not supermen. All through your army careers, you men have bitched about what you call chicken shit drilling. That, like everything else in the army, has a definite purpose. That purpose is alertness. Alertness must be bred into every soldier. I don't give a fuck for a man who's not always on his toes. You men are veterans or you wouldn't be here. You are ready for what's to come. A man must be alert at all times if he expects to stay alive. If you're not alert, sometime a German son of an asshole bitch is going to sneak up behind you and beat you to death with a sock full of shit. There are 400 neatly marked graves somewhere in Sicily, all because one man went to sleep on the job. But they're German graves because we caught the bastard asleep before they did. 
An army is a team. It lives, sleeps, eats, and fights as a team. This individual heroic stuff is pure horse shit. The bilest bastards who write that kind of stuff for the Saturday Evening Post don't know anything more about real fighting under fire than they do about fucking. We have the finest food, the finest equipment, the best spirit, and the best men in the world. Why? By God, I actually pity those poor sons of bitches we're going up against. By God, I do. My men don't surrender. I don't want to hear of any soldier under my command being captured unless he's been hit. Even if you are hit, you can still fight back. That's not just bullshit either. The kind of man that I want in my command is just like the lieutenant in Libya who, with a luger against his chest, jerked off his helmet, swept the gun aside with one hand, and busted the hell out of the kraut with his helmet. Then he jumped on the gun and went out and killed another German before they knew what the hell was coming off. And all that time, this man had a bullet through a lung. There was a real man. All of the heroes are not storybook combat fighters either. Every single man in this army plays a vital role. Don't ever let up. Don't ever think that your job is unimportant. Every man has a job to do and he must do it. Every man is a vital link in the great chain. What if every truck driver suddenly decided that he didn't like the whine of those shells overhead, turned yellow, and jumped headlong into a ditch? The cowardly bastard would say, hell, they won't miss me, just one man in thousands. But what if every man thought that way? Where the hell would we be now? What would our country, our loved ones, our homes, even the world be like? No, goddammit, Americans don't think like that. Every man does his job. Every man serves the whole. Every department, every unit is important in the vast scheme of this war. The ordnance men are needed to supply the guns and machinery of war to keep us rolling. The quartermaster is needed to bring up food and clothes because where we are going, there isn't a hell of a lot to steal. Every last man on KP has a job to do, even the one who heats our water to keep us from getting the GI shits. Each man must not think only of himself, but also of his buddy fighting beside him. We don't want yellow cowards in this army. They should be killed off like rats. If not, they will go home after this war and breed more cowards. The brave men will breed more brave men. Kill off the goddamn cowards and we will have a nation of brave men. One of the bravest men I ever saw was a fellow on top of a telegraph pole in the midst of a furious firefight in Tunisia. I stopped and asked what the hell he was doing up there at a time like that. He answered, fixing the wire, sir. I asked, isn't it a little unhealthy right about now? He answered, yes, sir, but the goddamn wire has to be fixed. I asked, don't those planes strafing the road bother you? And he answered, no, sir, but you sure as hell do. Now, there was a real man, a real soldier. There was a man who devoted all he had to his duty, no matter how seemingly insignificant his duty might appear at the time, no matter how great the odds. And you should have seen those trucks on the road to Tunisia. Those drivers were magnificent. All day and all night they rolled over those son of a bitch in roads, never stopping, never faltering from their course, with shells bursting all around them all the time. We got through on good old American guts. 
Many of those men drove for over 40 consecutive hours. These men weren't combat men, but they were soldiers with a job to do. They did it. And in one hell of a way, they did it. They were part of a team. Without team effort, without them, the fight would have been lost. All of the links in the chain pulled together and the chain became unbreakable. Don't forget, you men don't know that I'm here. No mention of that fact is to be made in any letters. The world is not supposed to know what the hell happened to me. I'm not supposed to be commanding this army. I'm not even supposed to be here in England. Let the first bastards to find out be the goddamn Germans. Someday I want to see them raise up on their piss-soaked hind legs and howl, Jesus Christ, it's the goddamn third army again and that son of a fucking bitch Patton. We want to get the hell over there. The quicker we clean up this goddamn mess, the quicker we can take a little jaunt against the purple pissing Japs and clean out their nest too, before the goddamn Marines get all the credit. Sure, we want to go home. We want this war over with. The quickest way to get it over with is to get the bastards who started it. The quicker they are whipped, the quicker we can go home. The shortest way home is through Berlin and Tokyo. And when we get to Berlin, I am personally going to shoot that paper-hanging son of a bitch Hitler. Just like I'd shoot a snake. When a man is lying in a shell hole, if he just stays there all day, a German will get to him eventually. The hell with that idea. The hell with taking it. My men don't dig foxholes. I don't want them to. Foxholes only slow up an offensive. Keep moving. And don't give the enemy time to dig one either. We'll win this war, but we'll win it only by fighting and by showing the Germans that we got more guts than they have or will ever have. We're not just going to shoot the sons of bitches. We're going to rip out their living goddamn guts and use them to grease the treads of our tanks. We're going to murder those lousy hun cocksuckers by the bushel fucking basket. War is a bloody killing business. You've got to spill their blood or they will spill yours. Rip them up the belly. Shoot them in the guts. When shells are hitting all around you and you wipe the dirt off your face and realize that instead of dirt, it's the blood and guts of what was once your best friend beside you, you'll know what to do. I don't want to get any messages saying I am holding my position. We are not holding a goddamn thing. Let the Germans do that. We are advancing constantly and we are not interested in holding on to anything except the enemy's balls. We are going to twist his balls and kick the living shit out of him all the time. Our basic plan of operation is to advance and keep advancing regardless of whether we have to go over, under, or through the enemy. We're going to go through him like crap through a goose, like shit through a tin horn. From time to time, there will be some complaints that we are pushing our people too hard. I don't give a good goddamn about such complaints. I believe in the old sound rule that an ounce of sweat will save a gallon of blood. The harder we push, the more Germans we will kill. The more Germans we kill, the fewer of our men will be killed. Pushing means fewer casualties. I want you all to remember that. There is one great thing that you men will all be able to say after this war is over and you are home once again. You will be thankful that 20 years from now, when you are sitting by the fireplace with your grandson on your knee, 
and he asks you what you did in the great World War II, you won't have to cough, shift him to the other knee, and say, well, your granddaddy shoveled shit in Louisiana. No, sir. You can look him straight in the eye and say, son, your granddaddy rode with the great Third Army and a son of a goddamn bitch named Georgie Patton. All right, you sons of bitches. You all know how I feel. I'll be proud to lead you wonderful guys in battle anytime, anywhere. That is all. And that speech was delivered in June of 1944, clearly, by General George S. Patton in England. And he actually delivered that speech multiple times, and this is one version of it. George Patton, if you don't know who it is, Podcast 9, we covered his book, War As I Knew It. And you probably heard the shortened version of that speech in the movie Patton with George C. Scott, which is which is good. Not as good as the original though. They actually they actually sanitized the the speech in the movie for Hollywood and for the American public. Which is interesting. It's interesting that they they, they sanitize what someone says in a war movie, even though the war movie is literally about killing killing people, lots of people. But General Patton, he, he, he knew and understood the power of language, especially bad language. <laughs> he, his nephew asked his son, this is a, a, another thing I read, that his nephew asked him about his use of profanity. And Patton said, when I want my men to remember something important, to really make it stick, I give it to them double dirty. It may not sound nice to some bunch of little old ladies in an afternoon tea party, but it helps my soldiers to remember. You, you can't run an army without profanity. And it has to be eloquent profanity. An army without profanity couldn't fight its way out of a piss-soaked paper bag. As for the comments I make, sometimes I just, by God, get carried away with my own eloquence. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a time and place for profanity. Uh, you know, I, when I was in the SEAL teams, I used to swear a lot when making a point. And when making a point, obviously, you want to make it stick. This is something... Uh, I think I've I think I've t- talked about this before, but I would bring my son out to training events, and I never swear in front of my family. Like even right now, I don't swear in front of my family. Mm-hmm. So when my son was probably, you know, like six years old, seven years old, and I'd bring him out to a training site to observe some training, you know, so he could start getting some, well, getting kind of inoculated to the loud noises, machine gun fire, teaching them this, the fundamentals of tactics and stuff. 
So when he'd come out and watch training, and then I would be debriefing, <laughs> and you know it would just be f bomb, f bomb, sentence, half sentence, f bomb, f bomb. Yeah. I remember the first time he saw me debrief like that, and it's also the first time he probably saw me, you know, uh, I don't want to use the word emotional, but he, it's the first time he saw real intensity from me, because yeah. you're trying to make a point to the guys, and I will freely say that at the time. I was, I would get really in the zone because I'm thinking that the guys that I'm training, I want them to absorb the message because I don't want them to go overseas and get killed. So, uh, you know, there's some levels of intensity that would uh, that would happen. So, yeah, sometimes the the language comes out and should have an impact. If you use it too much, obviously, loses its impact. So. Like I said, we covered Patton's book, War as I Knew It, a long time ago. But there's Patton didn't just write that book. He actually was a fairly prolific writer. And some of what he wrote wasn't meant to be literature. It was things like general instructions to his troops. So I got some of those for us to look at just because they're you know, they're good stuff. So, uh, this is one. There's two that we're going to go over today. And this is from headquarters, 3rd United States Army, 6 March 1944, subject letter of instruction, letter of instruction number one to core division and separate unit commanders. So, this is one that's written to the commanders of the subordinate units underneath Patton. Starts off with general. This letter will orient you, officers of higher echelons, in the principles of command, combat procedure, and administration which obtain in this army and will guide you in the conduct of your several commands. Part number two, command. Leadership, full duty. Each in his appropriate sphere will lead in person. Any commander who fails to obtain his objective and who is not dead or severely wounded has not done his full duty. That's, by the way, just how he's kicking this thing off. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we've definitely talked about that one before, but there you go. Welcome to working for George Patton. If you fail to obtain your objective and you're not dead or severely wounded, then you haven't done your duty. So that's, where, that's, that's, the, that's the basis on which we're building this stuff. Continues, visits to the front. The commanding general or his chief of staff, never both at once, and one member of each of the general staff sections should visit the front daily. To save duplication, the chief of staff will designate the sector each is to visit. The function of these staff officers is to observe, not to meddle. Very important. Don't go up there and start trying to make little changes. No, you're up there to observe. Continuing, in addition to their own specialty, they must observe and report anything of military importance. Remember, too, that your primary mission as a leader is to see with your own eyes and to be seen by the troops while engaged in personal reconnaissance. So, think about that. Not just see what's going on, you want them to see you, too. That you're out there with the troops. Next section is execution. In carrying out a mission, 
The promulgation of the order represents not over 10% of your responsibility. The remaining 90% consists of assuring by means of personal supervision on the ground by yourself and your staff proper and vigorous execution. How important is that? The, the, the passing of the order is 10% of your duties. The other 90% is making sure it gets done. You don't hear that very often. Yeah. Hey, I, already t- I told them what to do. That's all. That's, right. You know, I passed the word, man. Yeah. I passed the word. Not my fault. Not my problem. Yeah. Wrong answer. That's actually, only say it, that, that's know, actually so many 90% times. of your problem. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, uh, one that I've maybe used, I don't know, maybe heard, I don't know. It's like, hey, I can only say it so many times, you know, kind oh, of thing. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. You know? That's a good one. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've told them a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. I sent the email. <laughs> yeah. I sent the email. No, 10% is of your responsibility is passing the information. 90% is assuring by means of personal supervision on the ground. Vigorous. Proper and vigorous execution. Yeah. Think about that next time you, you you put out the word and then you kick back into your chair. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong answer. Uh, next here, staff conferences. I'm going to abbreviate this thing. Daily at the earliest possible moment that the G2 and G3 can get their maps posted. So G2 and G3, those are the that's intel and operations. As soon as they can get their maps posted, a staff conference will be held attended by the commanding general, chief of staff, and the heads of all general staff sections. And he goes through who those are. Then the reason I highlighted this part, because I'm not reading this whole thing, but he says, any person present with a statement to make will do so briefly. Check. You're not in there to talk. You're not in there to hear yourself talk. You're not in there so that the commanding general, the boss, the CEO, gets to see that you're in there and you said something smart. Mm-hmm. Actually, just be quiet. And if you have to say something, make it brief. It's supposed to be a brief. So it's called a brief. Yeah, and just to mention that again, I'm not reading this entire thing, but we're reading some big chunks of it. Um, it talks about rest periods. Okay? Rest periods. And we know there's big controversy from my world when it comes to rest. Because <laughs> once a day, no, that's probably inaccurate. Probably between one and three times a day, someone via various social media messaging, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, says to me, you know, get more rest and you don't sleep enough and all these things. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, my world is going to turn into a disaster, which, you know, waiting on that one. <laughs> So sure. here's what, so, but, and you know what I always say, of course, it's, it's in the book, Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual. I wrote a book mm-hmm. and said, you need to get sleep. Sleep is important. Without sleep, all these bad things happen. Mm-hmm. I know this yeah. and I propagate it all the time. Sleep, you know, someone says, you, you're, you're telling people not to sleep. No, actually, I tell people to sleep all the time. Yeah. You need to sleep to perform optimally. You need to sleep. Different people need different amounts of sleep. However much sleep you need, get it. It's fine. It's great. I support it. So does Patton. Here we go. Rest periods. Staff personnel commissioned and enlisted who do not rest do not last. All sections must run a duty roster and enforce compliance. The intensity of staff operations during battle is periodic at the Army and Corps levels. The busiest times are the period from one to three hours after daylight 
and from three to five hours after dark. In the lower echelons and in the administrative and supply staffs, the time periods is different, but just as definite. When the need arises, everyone when the need arises, everyone must work all the time. But these emergencies are not frequent. Unfatigued men last longer and work better at high pressure. So, like I say, like I tell people all the time, get sleep. Not bad for you. Do you need to sleep until nine? No, you don't. Well, <laughs> well some people do. Depends when you go. I to didn't sleep. receive a return text from you today until I'm thinking it was around ten. Yeah. Am I right or wrong? Uh, well, you know, you're probably right. I don't have those records. Uh, we can check. So, yeah. is that what time you woke up? Just out of curiosity. Yes. Do you feel well rested right now? Ready to perform? Yes. Ready to bring your A game? Yes, sir. I do. <laughs> See, it's a long story. And it's worth it. Right? Yeah. Okay. It's worth it. Were you up late la- last night watching the fights? No. Connor's fight was super only, early. Connor's fight was only forty seconds long. <laughs> yeah. You I, could have been I, in I bed at. We're talking nine. I was. I was going to bed and I just like literally going to bed when I seen the results come through. Okay. But I'm not used to going to sleep that early, so I ended up waking up in the middle of the night, not being able to go back to sleep, nah, and then yeah. you, you know, then you hit yep. the, the rest yep. of it, yep. you know. Yep. Yep. Woke up at ten. Okay. So rest is important. There you go. It's an order from Patton that you need to get rest. Next section is location of command posts. The farther forward, the farther forward the command posts are located, the less time is wasted in driving to and from the front. The ideal situation would be for the Army command post to be within one half hour's drive in a command post and reconnaissance car of the division command post. The driving time to the front and from the command post, the driving time to the front from the command post of the lower units should be correspondingly shorter. Much time and wire saved if command posts of higher units are at or near one of the command posts of the next lower echelon. So in why, why am I talking about that? Because the reason is think about how important communication is between the senior leadership and the frontline troops. And when you have big separation, now what's nice these days, and he goes into a bunch of stuff talking about, when he's talking about wire versus radio, do you know what, do you know what that means? They used to actually string out wire. Mm-hmm. So if you had a forward post two miles from me, mm-hmm. we would string wire. Between yeah. the two of us, so we could talk. Like phone wire. Yeah, like phone wire. Yeah. Like little phone wire. Huh. And in that opening speech, when he's talking about a guy in Tunisia putting wire up on a telephone, that's what he's talking about. Yeah. They, oh, okay. Because radios at that time were way less, way less reliable than they are now. Yeah. So now we can overcome a lot of this with technology, but just showing the importance of, and by the way, he's not even talking about wire. He's talking about, being able to go there and see what's happening. Mm-hmm. So there's ways to overcome this. I guess my point in, in calling this out is showing how important visible leadership is, right? How important face-to-face is mm. from a leadership perspective. Uh, combat procedure, next section, maps. We are too prone to believe that we acquire merit solely through the study of maps in the safe seclusion of a command post. Maps are necessary in order to see the whole panorama of battle and to permit intelligent planning. Further, and this is very important, a study of the map will indicate where critical situations exist or, or are apt to develop and so indicate where the commander should be. 
in the higher echelons, a layered map of the whole theater is reasonable to scale, showing roads, railways, streams, towns, more useful than a large scale map cluttered up with the ground force. So the reason that I, I put this in here is looking visibly, visually at something real. Mm-hmm. This is a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a, 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 a just a, just an eye opener, right? You have vir- everything's virtual now, right? We can look at virtual charts, we can see virtual diagrams, we can see virtual spreadsheets, we can see market data, and and I get it. And there's there's many much of the time, virtual data is has superior some superior qualities of it because you can manipulate it you can watch it move you can dig into it you can click on the link right, right and see where the source of the data is and all that stuff is good all i'm saying and the only reason i bring this is up is because sometimes the 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 physical map the physical chart the physical spreadsheet that you can look at that you can put up on a wall and say let's talk through this Sometimes, and, and part of this I think is just my personality, my, the way that I, you know how people have different types of learning, right? Mm-hmm. My, uh, the way my brain works, sometimes to look at something that's actually physically there, mm-hmm. sometimes works better for me than the virtual thing that I'm looking at on a screen. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. Makes sense. I don't know if you feel that way, well, I feel like if, you know, when you're talking about a map or even like a diagram, if I have it physically in front of me and, and then and you, and then you're obviously physically in front of me. Mm-hmm. So we're both physically there. We can kind of interact with yeah. it in the physical world. So I can point here and maybe yeah. even mark it here with a pencil. Which, and you like, can do, which you can do. That's what I'm saying. Like nowadays, you can have a, an iPad, right? And we could be marking that things up. So there's, there's some closure. The gap yeah. is getting closed on this. Yeah, yeah the iPad's... The, it's close, but yeah, not really, is. because iPad's only this big. True, and it's like when you True. write on it, it's it. it you, there's that what do you call it, like a barrier, like at the very least psychological barrier between the actual mm-hmm. document, you, you know, okay. and, okay. and okay. us. Right. It feels like it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even though you're marking on, you know, it's a touch yeah. screen, so you can. It feels like it. Here, here's one that this is a real simple, straightforward one. The difference between a physical checklist on a piece of paper or on a whiteboard mm. compared to there's about 5 million apps yeah. including native apps to your phone mm-hmm. that do checklists i personally think that i find physical lists in a notebook or on a whiteboard better what do you think I think it's funny how you use the expression native apps. Was that that's, correct? That's advanced. Yeah, was yeah, that correct? that's correct. That's what they are, right? Like Apple has Yeah, it a, comes uh, with it. Yeah, yeah, it comes with it. Yeah, yeah, that's good, go. man. That's good. You're, See, I've been you're coming along quite nicely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I could dig it. They I should contact it. me, actually. <laughs> sure, of course. They, they probably should. Yeah. They should, and I could, sh- I could dial that app oh, in yeah, where probably. it would be squared away. Very tactile. Right, that's what's called, right? When yeah, you can touch it. But also, the one of the problems is... One of the one of the disadvantages of those kind of lists is because things are hidden 
right? Like you, you have to open that list, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. you can't see it. So you, you look at a project and you don't really even see the depth of the project. Whereas if you have like a physical list that you're looking at, you say, oh, that project is gonna, is gonna take yeah. some labor. Yeah, uh, I feel it for sure. I think I'm kind of used to the apps though, as far as like notes and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm used to it. So I think like anything, the more you get used to it, the more you're like, oh, I like this mm-hmm. or whatever. I use the notes one. Uh, so easy, like when when in the SEAL teams, PowerPoint just started to just run everything. Yeah. Everything was briefed on PowerPoint. And that is one time when you would look, when you'd bring the guys around to look at a map or bring the guys around to look at an image that's on, that you can draw on, mm-hmm. so much clearer than just everyone sitting there there's the separation, I guess you called it, what you call it, a virtual separation? There's yeah. some separation. Barrier. Barrier. Yeah. When you'd actually pull out a, a map and say, here's the route, you'd, sh- you'd be like drawing yeah. it on there. And you'd say, okay, there's a hill over here. And people, I don't know, people seem to get it better. Yeah. Same thing with uh, something called the force list. Which sounds really cool, but all yeah. it means is this is who's going on this mission. Okay. And also where they're sitting in the vehicles. Yeah. The virtual force list almost always sucked. It was almost virtual. always yeah. like slightly wrong, and yeah. the, you know, people wouldn't know where they. But we would do it on a magnet board, mm-hmm. and everybody had their own magnet. I still have my magnet for my first deployment. It says, "It's my magnet." Says just says Jocko. It's yellow. Well, it's the magnet's brown, and then it says Jocko, and it's off center, and like it sure. looks like somebody did it in like five minutes. Not like this big right. uh, high speed thing, right? right? Yeah. No, it's just really. Kind of rudimentary magnet says Jocko. So when you get your magnet, that's just that's your magnet for the whole trip. I'm making it into a bigger deal than it is. Honestly, pretty dope. But on that first deployment to Iraq, that was my magnet. When I left, I took the magnet with me. Yeah, because there's some good memories with the magnet, right? You see that thing in the because you have uh, on the on the dry erase board, the magnetic dry erase board. You have outlines of the vehicles. And then you just put your, you know, you put your magnet gets put into position. You look at the board, you know where you're at, right? Yeah. And most of the time, you know, I was in vehicle two, in the vehicle commander seat. That's where I was most of the time, depending on what we were doing. Sometimes I would be, if I was like the assault force commander, I might be in vehicle three, but whatever. But that little magnet, you know where it is right now? On your refrigerator. Yes, it is. Yeah. So when I look, go to the refrigerator, I remember yeah. that magnet. And one of my buddies named Johnny. Like one day he sent me a picture of his magnet. Sure. And I sent him a picture of mine back. Yeah. Wait, what could so okay, so you're, it's a mag it's just a circle. No, it's magnet. not a circle, it's a square it's a rectangle. But yeah, it's rectangle. a but is it like just a raw magnet though? Or just is a it raw like magnet. A, a raw person? magnet with a, with with what's it called? You ever seen those little machines where you make a label? A yeah, label, yeah, label making maker, machine. Yeah. Label maker. Little label. So there's a little yellow label and the the magnet just says Jocko. Huh. Boom, there it is. And yeah, it's off center. That's it. what makes me, that's what's kind of funny. Special. It's not like this yeah. special thing. I was like, hey, here. Mm. Boom, done. Yeah, but it's like one of the, for lack of better terms, or for lack of better term, one of the trinkets of the missions, you know? It's mm-hmm. like one of the memorabilia or whatever. It might be, I don't know, I'd have to think of There's. I'm sure there's other trinkets, but that is the one thing that I go, oh, yeah, yeah, those are some good yeah. times right there. Yeah, every once in a while you get those kind. Right, something that's yeah. of use, not major massive use, but it's like a, an essential part of the whole. When we gig. made Task Unit Bruiser, the first thing I was okay, guys, we need magnet boards, and and you know everyone's like thinking, uh, 
whatever. Mm-hmm. We'll just use the computer and all that stuff. And right. it's so much harder. Imagine this. You've got 40 people, 40 little names, and you're dragging them around on PowerPoint. And so, what, you deleted one by accident. Where'd that one go? Yeah. It's from a different... The magnets, like you have a, a space on the magnet board. Oh, these guys aren't going on the mission. They're they're over here. But you can see them. And then you say, wait, we need another machine gunner. Oh, cool. Who's the machine gunner? Smith's machine gunner. Put them in, in the turret. Boom. We're good. Yeah. It, the physical representation is important. Yep. Yeah, I know what it is. I know what it is. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So I. Can you know what Photoshop is? Right. I do know what it is. Okay. It's not a native app, though. No, sir, it is not. <laughs> so that's an aftermarket one for yeah. sure. So the, okay. So Photoshop is like really when you when you get used to it, it's like oh, it's simple, you know. But here's the, here's the difference, and I just distilled it down. It's the interface. The interface, that's what makes it like, that's the barrier. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a simple interface like PowerPoint, you know, there's still an interface. You got to mm-hmm. learn how to use PowerPoint, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So even after you learn how to use PowerPoint, you still have to interface with the, the system. You do. You know, yep. so, but with a physical thing, there is no interface. There's just boom, boom, we're doing it. You look, if I want this mm-hmm. little Jocko magnet to physically move to the front seat, yep. watch me physically move them to the front seat. There's that's no interface it. that happens. Exactly. It's right. just reality. Yeah. So the feedback is instant. Yeah. Big, it was kind of a big deal. I remember, uh, I, I, well, I'll have to reconfirm this with Leif, but there was, I, I wouldn't say resistance, but questions, yeah. you know? Because I think I went out and just bought magnets for Task Unit Bruiser. Like, okay, here's the magnet, here's the magnet. The more, the magnet boards were expensive too. Dude. I want to say they were, I want to say a big magnet board costs over $100. Yeah. You know, yeah. where's a lot of money when you're, in the Navy and you got three kids, like like a yeah. hundred bucks is no joke. Oh yeah, for just a board. Yeah, yeah. but well worth every penny, Yeah, every penny. So do you, cause you like to read physical books too. I do, right? And I'm not saying necessarily good compared point. to Audible, but like I use the Kindle, right? Mm-hmm. There's a little interface going on right there yeah. too. But technically the, it's quicker. There's less physical work to use a Kindle than a book. <sighs> yeah. I. I think what would have to happen for me is I would have to use a Kindle or whatever uh, digital reader thing yeah. until I learn the interface. Because yeah. right now, I, I can't stand those things. Yeah, well, I do on the phone, the Kindle app or whatever, but the yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. Kindle, actually, I think the actual Kindle is bigger, so you, it's better. You, you know what's interesting what my kids do uh, for books for, for school and whatnot? They read the book as they listen to the audiobook. Huh. Which is well, kind of be, interesting. Yeah. Bec- you know what? I did that one time. You know what book I did it for? Fields of Fire by James Webb. Yeah. I was listening to it and reading it. Yeah. And I don't know why. I don't know why I decided to do that. Yeah. Maybe because it was a fiction book? I don't know. But for some reason, that's what I did. Well, there's all kinds of like different reading methods. You know, there's all these methods like to read, whether it be faster, improve comprehension, you know, mm-hmm. all this way. And one of them is to skim, like rudimentary skim, mm-hmm. the kind of like literally like three seconds per page, maybe okay. even one second per page. Okay. What does that skim do? Skim the whole thing first. And it, and it creates this idea of uh, what everything's okay. about. So you skim it first, then you're going to go back then and read. Then you read, yeah. And you okay. read it kind of. I was going to really throw that idea out the window. Oh, just then, skim it and then, yeah, leave, then walk said, out the okay. door? Actually, yeah, no. so when I get a book, a potential book for the podcast, I will say I do some of that. Yeah. I'll be looking through it because, you know, the book for the podcast is going to have to be a good book. Right. And I got to make sure that it fits in with the podcast. 
Right. So I'll skim it and look for scenes yeah. that I go, oh, that's a good one. And then you know what I do is I read the end. As jacked up as that is, spoiler alert. I spoil the yeah. book for myself. Even though most of the time you kind of know what's going to happen. I mean, it's a war book. It's like, right. oh, it's World War II. Cool. We know what's going to happen. Right. right. If the first person person that's writing it, they live to write the book. So you know they're alive. Right. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, there's been a few where the person, you know, this is recovered from them or whatever. But yeah, so I, I skim through them and then I find the information. But I can't, I haven't been able to prep for a podcast virtually yet all of them have been even there was one where I was traveling and I decided I was gonna do something that I had it on PDF and I went through the whole thing and like I outlined it and stuff while virtually and then when I got home I printed it out and brought it in yeah yeah there must be something with the like the relationship Mm -hmm. between you know the the material the physical material in your eyeballs or something so let's just say this from a leadership perspective here's the takeaway If the virtual methodology is not working, perhaps try a physical version. That's going to be my suggestion after all this, after all this assessment of General Patton's words. (laughs) Check. All right. Now we get to plans. And what's cool about this, his plans, his section, so like the last section is a couple paragraphs long, the section before that, a couple paragraphs long. The section about planning arguably the most important section to be given by the commander of how we're gonna plan. This is one of the shortest sections here. Plans. Plans must be simple and flexible. I, I got that, I utilized that right there so much, it was ridiculous. And it was so powerful to be able to say, Hey, look, because in the SEAL teams, they would lean towards wanting, and not just in SEAL teams, they, people do this in business all the time. They want to make, make plans ultra detailed because they think the more detail they put in the plan, the better the plan will yeah, be executed. Yeah. That's actually wrong. Yeah. The more detail you put in the plan, look, you need to have some level of detail, but if you go overboard with the detail, now you're working on things that don't matter. Yeah. You're trying to do things in a way that don't matter. You can't do that. So that's how he starts out. Plans must be simple and flexible. Because nothing's going to go the way you expect it to go. And then he says this. Actually, they only form a datum plane from which you build as necessity directs or opportunity offers. So the plan is actually is barely anything. It's like, hey, this is the general idea. And then we'll make adjustments as necessity directs or as we have opportunities. They should be made by the people who are going to execute them. Right? Incredible. Once again, these are things that I did, and I, I, when I read that, I go, man, that, I'm so lucky that I did that. Mm-hmm. Because to force a plan down someone's throat, or to make a, or to, even worse, take the problem and multiply it exponentially, force the plan down on the people below you that is very detailed and doesn't have any flexibility. <laughs> That's just failure. Mm-hmm. I'd get to see that, man. I'd get to see some some task unit commander coming through training and and look, the guy's not a bad human. Guy actually wants to do good. In fact, wanting to do a good job can drive you to try and make a more detailed plan and force it down onto your people. That's not necessarily a person that's a bad leader. They just haven't learned the lesson yet. That might be a person that's super engaged, wants to do a great job, overachiever. Hey, look, I know how to do this. Puts together this highly detailed plan. That's not a good call, man. 
It's nothing against the person, but what you have to do with that person is show them the light, right? You gotta yeah. bring them to the light. <sighs> okay, so then he goes through, he goes through a section on reconnaissance. You can never have too much reconnaissance. Use every means available before, during, and after battle. Reports must be facts, not opinions. Negative as well as positive. Do not believe intercepts blindly. Cross-check. Sometimes messages are sent out to be intercepted. So a bunch of good little things to think about there. Reports must not must be facts, not opinions. There's a, a term that you use in the military. It appears to be ATB. Mm-hmm. So you'd see a person holding something. You, you're pretty sure it's a weapon, but you don't know. Then right. you say it appears to be a weapon. It appears to be a weapon. Or you say, you know, people moving into a, in a, appears to be a tactical position, right? So mm-hmm. it's just one of those little things because there's a huge difference between me saying they were moving weapons into the building or they were moving what appeared to be weapons in the building. Right. Yeah, it's like it's not an established not fact. Not an yet. established fact. And if you remember when we talked about uh, the Me Lai massacre, that's one of those things where the difference between appears to be and this is could be can kind of cause those yeah. kind of problems. Same thing with with police shootings, yeah. right? Someone saying, "Hey, this guy has a weapon," yeah. or "This guy appears to have a weapon." Yeah. There's a big difference between those two things. Yeah, yeah the le- like legal when they're speaking like legal terms, they're always like super careful about that. Like, oh, they'll say allegedly or, you know, like even though the guy just did it on camera. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. the uh, uh, su- suspect, even yeah. that, that's like a suspect. I'm watching it right here on the yeah. video. Yeah. No, no, it's not proven in the court of law yeah, yet. Yeah. So, you know, it's yeah, like, they're it's like careful that, about that legal one. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> next section is about orders. Formal orders. Formal orders will be preceded by letters of instruction and by personal conferences. In this way, the whole purpose of the operation will be made clear together with the mission to be accomplished by each major unit. In this way, if communication breaks down during combat, each commander can and must so act as to attain the general objective. This is a little something we called decentralized command. Right, everyone has to know what the main objective is. So when communication breaks down, which it will, we can still move forward. The order itself will be short, accompanied by a sketch. It tells what to do, not how. It is really a memorandum and assumption of responsibility by the issuing commander. So a bunch of key things there. The order is supposed to be short. The order's accompanied by a sketch. Once again, we get this visual representation thing seems to be important. Mm-hmm. And this is an important one. It tells what to do, not how. This is, I, I have to brief people on that one all the time. So, and, and you'll also notice this. Formal orders will be preceded by letters of instruction and by personal conferences. So, you know, a trick question that I ask companies when I'm working with them, what's better form of communication? Email or voice or face-to-face? And of course, everyone says voice, voice, voice. Or they say face-to-face. I'll say, what's more? What's a better form of communication? Email or phone call? And everyone goes, oh, phone call so much better. 
right? That's that's everyone's gut instinct. Oh yeah, talking to someone's so much more clear. And then I, I say, okay, here's the problem with just talking. If we just talk, I say one thing, you hear something else. Oh, and this right. happens all the time. So that's why I follow up. When you and I have a conversation, I follow it up with an email and say, hey, just wanna make sure we're good on this. Make sure that we're gonna do A, B, and C. Yeah. And then you say, uh, hey, I thought we were doing A, B, and D. And I say, oh, no, sorry, my fault. Yeah. I didn't explain it clearly. So mm-hmm. that's one way. The other thing is the opposite is also true. If I just send you an email, I want you to do this, this. There's no tone. Right. There's no expression. You might not see the importance. Mm-hmm. I might have written it clearly. So after, if it's important, I, I send you an email and I say, hey, Echo, just following up to make sure that we're on the same page because I'm not always the best at writing stuff. Mm-hmm. But when the email I just sent you, I wanted to make sure that you, you know it, that you understood it was A, B, and C. Did that come through? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Or you're like, wait a second. So you want to use both, and that's exactly what he's saying here. You you write it, you speak it, you speak it, you write it. Yeah, yeah you ever see those guys or talk to those guys where you talk to them, they're all excited, you can totally tell, and then when they text you, it's like two, three, sometimes one word answers. You know, And so you're kind of like, oh, man, he must be kind of mad because – his tone now is way different than when I was talking to him yeah. or whatever. You yeah. know, you sort of make your own interpretation of yep. the of the thing depending on like maybe, I don't know, maybe how you do it or something like that. But some people, that's just how they write, you know. For so sure. they'll be like, hey, get back to me, period. And it's like, dang, this guy's mad. He wants me to get back to him. Uh, my son in text is like just yeah. the most horrible. Yeah, like you. Okay. Check. Then again, no, but you do express certain tones, more comedic, I think, for comedic effect. Well, in my experience, anyway, I'm sure, you know, you have a whole thing. But, yeah, when I was texting him, your boy, he, same deal. Like, he was like the younger version of you. Yeah. He just has no, what do you say? He was in a surf contest the other day. And, you know, so he's, I was somewhere else. And, you know, I'm texting him, hey, did you make it through the first heat? Because the way surf contests work, you surf in heats and you have to get in the top three in each heat to advance and then eventually you get to the finals. Mm -hmm. So I'm texting him. And this is a teenage boy, right? So it's not like he's not on his phone. Right. I'm texting him, hey, how'd you do? Hey, how'd the first heat go? Did you make it through? Nothing heard, nothing heard, nothing heard all day. Finally, the end of the day, uh, I say, hey, did you finish the contest? How did you do? He writes back, got two, mm-hmm. which meant he got second place in the contest. <laughs> like, that's all it said. All, all small yeah. letters. Yeah. How does it even do small letters? Because it automatically cap Somehow on his phone, no automatic <laughs> capitalization. It says got two, yeah. which is the 17-year-old boy's way of saying, hey, dad, I got second place today. Right. Thanks for uh, showing some concern, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I appreciate your support as a father. I had a great time. Yep, that's it's all yeah. in there, right? Yeah. No, <laughs> got two. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. Uh, follow up with, and you know, then when I, when I called him later or whatever, he's like, oh, yeah, first, you know, he's giving me all the details. Right. Got two. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and he talks about something called fragmentary orders, frag orders. After the initial order, you will seldom get another formal order, but you may get fragmentary orders in writing or orally, by phone or personally. Take down all oral orders and repeat them back. Have your juniors do the same to you. Again, can you imagine how many times and how important this is that 
This guy, General Patton, by the way, is saying, listen, when you get told to do something, write it down and read it back. That's just the standard operating procedure of life when you get told to do something. Write it down, read it back. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that instills more confidence in me than when I'm telling somebody what to do and they're taking notes on it. That's just, you go, okay, cool. I can barely even trust, look, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but I barely even trust waitresses or waiters when I'm telling them what I want and they're just yep. looking at me like, I got this. Yep. I'm always nervous. Oh, yeah. I guess too. maybe really ne- right, not, you know, sometimes I can't help myself, but I'll say, well, you must be pretty good. You know, and they'll be like, yeah, I got you. Right. And, they, and they're looking at me like they do this all the time. Right. Is it, do you think that that's like a move, like a flex, right, for, in, you know, service industry when it's like, oh, yeah, like I'm so good. A at little bit of a TCB. flex and also just a skill. Right, right, right. They, right. Yeah, just that's what skill. I mean. They're like showing off the skill. Yeah. And sometimes I don't even think they're showing off. Sometimes I just think they're, that's what they do. Yeah. That's what they're, they're just trying to, you know, they're just saying like, yeah, I got this. That's what they do on an individual level or as a company? Because that individual, could be both. that individual's like, hey, I, you know, go ahead. tell, Because, you know, I always want, I always want to order right now. Yeah. You know, when they come over to offer you water, yeah, I want to yeah. order them. So like I don't, the I don't want, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to go through the, the sequence. When you yeah. come to me, mm-hmm. I want to order because I already know what I'm getting. I'm getting a yeah. Caesar salad and a ribeye. That's already happening. So we already know that walking into the place. I don't need sure. to look at the menu. I don't want to look at the menu. So when they come yeah. over and, and I say, they say, uh, you know, they start pouring my water and I say, I, I'm actually ready to order. And sometimes they just look at me and say, okay, go. Yeah, hit me. Kind of a pro move, right? I think I so. Think over I, time, think so. I think over time I've become more comfortable yeah. with it. And now when someone does that, I know they're a pro. Yeah. So I, th- I guess now I'm good with it. Yeah. I didn't used to be. You know, when I transitioned from eating at, let's say, wh- the restaurants where there's no pros, right? Like a normal restaurant, people sure. are just in there, they're taking notes, right? They're, oh, they're, yeah. This is like... They're, this is their secondary job, whatever. They're a teenager, whatever. Right. Like mm-hmm. they're this is they're just doing this to make whatever some extra money. When you go to a real restaurant where there's pros, I have confidence in those people. Yep. Until there's a mistake. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. But and I think and I know this because I was with my wife literally then yesterday. It was the day before. Mm-hmm. Whenever, very recently, either yesterday day before, we nice were at restaurant? a sushi restaurant. Okay. It was our first time there. It was nice inside, but it was like it was kind of new, casual, trendy, nice. Okay, you know that kind. Little nervous, little nervous. Kind of minimalist, it. but it's like you don't know if it's like is this a high end restaurant. Or mm-hmm. just super trained. So hey, the jury was still out on that yep. whole situation. So whatever. And then, you know, he pulled one of those. Uh-huh. I respected him for it. I like when okay. they do that okay. on All that right. level. Okay. But there is a question mark in the back of my head because I'm one of the annoying type order. You've pe- got special pe- things. You yeah. Want. You know, you got the this and can have extra this. And I don't want to I don't want to coke. But until the food I think comes, it's also you know, kind of like chess, you know, a good chess player is looking at the chessboard in chunks. So mm-hmm. they don't have to remember every piece. They're remembering whole whole schemes of maneuver that are gonna happen. Yeah. When you're ordering in the restaurant, when you say, I want steak and see, like they already, and they, so they all they actually are remembering is when you say, oh, I'd like the peppercorn sauce medium, right? That's the only thing they really need to remember because right. they remembered everything else. Yeah. So, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, man, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, and I, I, I'm with you though. Like when I, when if someone's like, Boom, boom, they're on it and they bring everything, especially the annoying sides. Okay, so me and my wife's like this too, where she'll be like, Can I? She'll want different sauces that you don't uh, normally get yeah. with it, you know, like that kind. Me too. And then, um, yeah, I know it's a, it's a, it's a pain to have those specialty 
requests, uh, right? But it's so it makes it so much better. But nonetheless, if if they come through with that boom without being quote unquote reminded, mm-hmm. and I don't even me saying reminded like it sounds condescending. But when the thing is, they I understand. don't give you what you asked for. What do you just suck it up and just deal with it, or do you say something? Which one? What? Like, what do you mean? Say okay, something? Okay, I remind them. Yeah, can I get the sriracha or okay, whatever okay. or the wasabi, whatever? But then they, I don't, do they act super guilty, or do they act just super annoyed? Oh, I don't. I, I don't remember anytime anyone <laughs> <laughs> acting annoyed. But have you ever? I've done that where I've asked for some little specific thing, and then they don't deliver. And then I say, hey, you know, I, I actually asked for this. And they're like, and they're acting annoyed at me. Yeah. Uh, I can see how that could happen. And I happen, can see why I deserve it, right? Because I'm asking for some like, <laughs> that's specific how I feel thing. Too. So uh, that's yeah. why I, when somebody messes something up, I'm kind of like, okay, well, that's just, that's just how it is. I'll yeah. I feel like I'm jamming up the whole system because I used to work service industry a long time. Yeah. So the... You know, you have a system and it works so good, especially when you're dealing with like people after people, you know, group and group and like all day. And the system works so good. And it's probably formulated off mm-hmm. of like something, mm-hmm. something that everyone's cooperating with. They'll tell yeah, you that. Yeah, it's working. And I'm not cooperating. I feel because I'm the customer who's not technically yeah. cooperating. You know, because it starts with what? Drinks. Hi, everybody. Sit down. You know, one minute yeah. should be like one minute. Water's drinks. Coming, water. Drinks. You want anything to drink yeah. besides water? Blah, blah, blah. Me, I'm like. Some appetizers. But yeah, so bro, I'm the kind of like, yeah, I, I do want to drink, but how's this? The drink, I want the drink to come with the food. Already jamming up the whole system. Yeah. So they should be annoyed with me. In fact, I wouldn't say they should be, but if they're annoyed with me, I understand. Yeah. Oh, I'm annoying already. And pff, it doesn't stop there. <laughs> bro, they'll bring out the sushi or whatever. I'll be like, hey, can I have two sides of uh, extra wasabi, side of eel sauce, and teriyaki sauce? Sometimes yeah. I have teriyaki sauce. And it's like, bro, this guy, bro, just ordered like <laughs> everybody in here is playing the game. You're over here doing all this yeah. stuff. I'm over here trying to memorize your order without writing it down. And you're we were throwing this at me, you know, yeah. so I understand. But that. I think, what my, to my point earlier, they don't have to memorize your whole order. They're just like, oh, this guy's got these two things that are outside the normal box. So there's only really two things they have to remember. I think. Yeah, I but. I think that's what happens. I think you're right. This, all this means, look, you're a leader. You're a junior leader. Your boss is going to tell you to do something. Do yourself a favor. Do your boss a favor. Don't make him wonder if you're a waiter or waitress that can handle the scenario. Don't make him wonder that. You whip out your notebook. And you go, hey, boss, let me just read this back to you, what you told me, because I want to get this 100% right. And you say, okay, awesome. Up the confidence level. Good idea. That's my recommendation. Uh, Next section, warning orders. Warning orders are vital and must be issued in time. This requirement applies not only to combat units, but also the surgeon, signal officer, quartermaster, and ordnance officer, engineering officer, who must get warning orders promptly. They too have plans to make. And warning orders is the initial thing that you tell the troops. Hey, we might be attacking. Get ready for this. That's a warning order. I sent somebody a warning order the other day. Oh yeah, I remember what it was. Uh, anyway, I literally because he's another team guy. Mm-hmm. And I said, Hey, here's a warning order. Oh yeah, you call it a warning order? Yeah, like you like, classify. Hey, it. Here's the warning order. Yeah. Because I was just giving a heads up, we got a we got a possible scenario. I'll do that too. I'll say new mission though, like you know, I'll, I'll, I'll indicate what this is is coming. You know. So the here's the thing with that: new mission means you're going to tell them exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Warning order: you give them just because warning order is just a heads up, right? Like this hey, might this happen. might be happening. Yeah. Here's kind of the general thing we think is going to be happening. Yeah. So you can give it to them a little bit earlier. New mission means now you got all this prep to do because you didn't get a warning order. Oh, right. step, <laughs> step up your game. <laughs> uh, next, keep troops informed. 
Use every means before and after combat to tell troops what they are going to do and what they have done. Boom, there you go. I believe there's a whole section in that uh, in the book called Leadership Strategy and Tactics. And I think it's literally called Keep the Troops Informed. Next, administration, supply. I was thinking, oh, you know, I'll skip this because whatever. No, here's what it says. The onus of supply rests equally on the giver and the taker. <laughs> that is so important. Instead of, hey, we order, we, hey, where's our dang supplies? It's their fault? It's like, no, actually, it's my fault. And then he says this, forward units must anticipate needs and ask for supplies in time. They must stand ready to use all their means to help move supplies. The supply service must get the things asked for to the right place at the right time. They, they must do more. By reconnaissance, they will anticipate demands and start the supplies up before they're called for. So this is what's interesting. You see, both sides have to take extreme ownership of the delivery of the supplies. And what you get is you get interlocking fields of fire, overlapping, interlocking and overlapping fields of fire, which is exactly what you want. Yeah, yeah. Meaning, overlapping fields of fire, meaning I'm shooting to the northwest and you're shooting also part of your coverage is to the northwest, but then you're getting a little bit more to the east too. Right, right. So we're both looking and we're overlapping, overlapping fields of fire. Mm-hmm. That's what we want. And that's what, that's what, when you have extreme ownership on both sides, you get overlapping fields of fire, which means the chances of something being missed are less because the fields of fire are overlapping. Yeah. Both got it I've never said that before. It's good. Yeah, because even... Fields of fire overlap almost like I'm gonna clean up that analogy and that's gonna end up being a very powerful analogy. Yeah. It's like you both got it covered, you know. You both got it covered. I say something close to it a lot, me which which is, you know, I say, look, when every person when everyone in the chain of command is taking ownership of the problems, the problems get solved. There's more to it than that. Because when you take ownership of the problem and I take ownership of the same problem, there's overlapping fields of fire and we will kill that problem yeah. because you're going to see it from your angle and maybe you get 80% of it solved. I got that other 20%. Yeah. Doubly insured. Yes. And then it says this, the desperate determination to succeed is just as vital to supply as it is to the firing line. The desperate determination. Meaning... The guys in the front line, we know their lives are in danger. Supply has to have the same attitude. Yeah. Logistics wins wars. They got a chunk in here on replacements. They got a chunk in here on hospitals. They got a chunk in here on decorations. Decorations are for the purpose of raising the fighting value of troops. Therefore, they must be awarded promptly. Have a definite officer on your staff educated in writing citations and see that they get through. Boy, we don't do a good job of this anymore. The awards process is, is, is painful. Next section is on discipline. Anyways, going back to, to decorations real quick. That means when you're running a business, when you're running a team, and someone does something well, recognize them for it mm. quickly, promptly. It means something. The next section is called discipline, which we're definitely fond of. There's only one kind of discipline, perfect discipline. If you do not enforce and maintain discipline, you are potential murderers. You must set the example. 
check. Believe me, Patton is is into discipline. He's we're gonna read another section he goes into. That's all he's got in it here. Next section, rumors. Reports based on information secured through reconnaissance conducted after dark should be viewed with skepticism. The same thing applies to reports from walking wounded and stragglers. These latter seem seek to justify themselves by painting alarming pictures. Boy, that's a that's a that's a that's a, a very astute observation, right? Gay guys that are coming back that are wounded or walking wounded or was it stragglers? They're telling like it's so bad because they don't want to look bad. Yeah. Uh, he says it is risky and usually impossible to move reserves during darkness on every call for help. Units cannot be wholly destroyed in a night attack. They must stick. Launch your counterattack after daylight and subsequent to adequate reconnaissance and see that it's coordinated. That's a good one. But what that basically means is to me. When you defeat someone, you need to go in there and like finish it off 100%. Mm. Condition, and by that he means conditioning, and by that he means physical conditioning. High physical condition is vital to victory. There are more tired core and division commanders than there are tired core and divisions. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Men in condition do not tire. And the last one is courage. Do not take counsel of your fears, which he seems to write that all the time, and it's there's a good reason for it. Mm. You're going to be afraid. Don't listen to it. Mm. Don't negotiate with it. Signed, Lieutenant General, U.S. Army Commanding. Okay, so that that was letter of instruction number one, and he, this now we're going to jump into this one came out a little bit later. Letter of instruction number two. This letter stresses those tactical and administrative usages which combat experience has taught myself and the officers who have served under me to consider vital. And then it says, you will not simply mimeograph this and call it a day. You are responsible that these usages become habitual in your command. Even in war, 1944, we're getting ready to invade France and fight the Nazis. We're going to embark on the most, on the largest attack assault ever in the history of the world. That's what we're doing. And guess what? He's still saying, look, you can't just mimeograph this and call it. So even then, even with all that, you got officers that are like, okay, hey, the boss put out some word here. You can read it. No. This idea of, hey, just putting out the word being enough, this reflects what he said last time about 10%, 90%. 10%'s given the order. 90% is personally ensuring it gets done. Taking ownership of it. That's what he's talking about. That is exactly what he's talking about. Okay, so he starts it off with that, then he goes right into discipline. Which, as I said, he's a, a believer in the power of discipline. So he says, there's only one sort of discipline, perfect discipline. I should, I'm reading it kind of without much vigor because I've read it before. He says it all the time. I'm going to read it again with vigor because it deserves some. There is only one sort of discipline, perfect discipline. Men cannot have good battle discipline and poor administrative discipline. 
oh, imagine that. You can't just be all lackadaisical back behind in, in garrison doing the administrative stuff and then expect you're going to have discipline when it's for combat-related subjects. you got to have it across the board. Good. Discipline is based on pride and the profession of arms, on meticulous attention to details, and on mutual respect and confidence. Discipline must be a habit so ingrained that it is stronger than the excitement of battle or the fear of death. Check. Have you ever seen the movie? Soldier. Soldier, soldier, soldier. Oh, this could be a good one. You're gonna have to go watch this one tonight. Yeah. Who's in that? Or what? What? Which one is that? The one? movie is called Soldier. It stars a guy named. It stars a famous guy, and I can't think of his name right now. But he was in Tombstone, and it's not. A lot of good. He looks like kind of like Patrick Swayze. Val Kilmer. No. No, he's real famous. He's a really famous actor. Well, so Tombstone, that was Kurt Russell. Yes, Kurt Russell. Okay, okay so Kurt Russell's in this movie, Soldier. You've got to watch this movie. Yeah. This movie is a really good movie. Okay. Think about what I'm saying right now. Yeah. This movie's a really good, not, and it's not only surprising that I'm saying that, because it's like a sci-fi movie. Yeah. Okay. I think I did. My, I it's a sci-fi that. movie. It's, it's pretty, it, it, on the surface, you go, okay. You can barely, you. it's the kind of movie you'd flip through in the video store and be like, whatever, another, yeah, yeah, it yeah. looks just like any other cheesy movie. Uh-huh. It's a good movie. Yeah. Soldier. At one point in the movie, so he's this guy that's been fighting wars his whole life, and they're being replaced by cybernetic soldiers. Mm-hmm. And so he gets like sent to a, a space junkyard. And on the space junkyard, there's people that kind of live there mm-hmm. that have their own little society. And he shows up there and he starts trying to, long story, but at one point this woman asks, asks him, cause he just, he just, he just is, he's just like a perfect soldier, right? Sure. That at one point this woman, she says something along the lines of, do you ever, do you ever feel anything? And he says, I don't even think, I think he says, yes, sir. He calls everyone, sir, even the, even females. Yeah. I think he says something along the lines of, yes, sir. Fear and discipline. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes! Sounds like your kind of movie, yes. yes. And okay. the other cool thing about this movie, the movie has, like, I, I want to say the first half an hour, there's no speaking. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no dialogue. They're showing the kids being selected and trained. Mm. So the kid that can't keep up with the run, they kill him. <laughs> Dang, bro. <laughs> <laughs> this is like my dream society. Uh-huh. All right. There you go. So I'm going to go watch this tonight if I can. I guess I will too. And shoot. Yeah, you're gonna love this movie. Well, yeah, I'm familiar with it actually. So when you said the sci-fi, I was like, okay, yeah. I, I think I know which one you're talking yeah. about. The bad kind of kind of marginal special effects and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They need to remake that movie with me in it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, they have tattoos. I think they have tattoos either on their arm or on their face. Oh, they have their rank on their face, Mm -hmm. but then they have tattoos of the 
like the barcode or something. The, yeah, they have a barcode, but then they have the tattoos of the campaigns in which they've served. Oh, no. Okay, so legit. Okay. <laughs> so, fear and discipline. That's what life is as a soldier. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you're afraid, but guess what? You have discipline. You overcome it. And according to Patton, discipline must be a habit so ingrained that it's stronger than the excitement of battle or the fear of death. And if you think about, just think about that word excitement, right? That doesn't only apply to battle. Think if you can have enough discipline that when there's stressful situations occurring around you, you have the discipline to be able to take a step back and detach instead of getting wrapped up in it. Mm -hmm. That's discipline. Mm. Everyday life. He continues on talking about discipline. The history of our of our invariably victorious armies demonstrates that we are the best soldiers in the world. This should make your men proud. This should make you proud. This should imbue your units with unconquerable self-confidence and pride in demonstrated ability. Discipline can only be obtained when all officers are so imbued with the sense of their awful obligation to their men and to their country that they cannot tolerate negligence. Officers who fail to correct errors or to praise excellence are valueless in peace and dangerous misfits in war. Boom. Think about that. Have you ever heard leadership described as an awful obligation? That is the most exquisite choice of words that I've heard in a long time. That's what it is. An awful obligation to their men and their country. Continues on, officers must assert themselves by example and by voice. They must be preeminent, encourage deportment and dress. One of the primary purposes of discipline is to produce alertness. A man who is so lethargic that he fails to salute will fall easy victim to an enemy. Combat experience has proven that ceremonies such as formal guard bounce, formal retreat formations, and regular and supervised reveille formations are a great help and, in some cases, essential to prepare men and officers for battle to give them that perfect discipline, the smartness of appearance, that alertness without which battles cannot be won. So he's all into that. What all, is, all what is reveille formations? Reveille's wake up. Uh, yeah. When we had Jolon from the French Foreign Legion, mm-hmm. what they call appel, that's reveille and wake up and get in line. And and mm-hmm. retreat, formal retreat formation, a retreat formation is is putting down the flag, like is the end of the day, hey, we're done for the day. So even when you're in garrison, you do that formally. Right, right, okay. So the, so we By the way, none formally. of this stuff, you never do any of this stuff in the SEAL teams. Yeah. <laughs> like barely okay. ever. When The only time we'll do it is like if something's gone on, we a bunch of guys get in trouble, all of a sudden they'll start saying, all right, we're going to meet every morning, and everyone goes, oh, come on. Right. You know? A bunch of misfits. Yeah, a bunch of misfits. So the Reveille formations, that's like an official, yep. uh, like wake a up formal hey. wake-up hey. sequence. We're waking up procedure. at 6. We're meeting at 6.30. That's happening every day. That's and true. then at the end of the day, Here's what we're doing. You know, we're assembling again. We're putting out final word, and then you can go and you know have dinner or whatever. Huh. Okay. 
So mm-hmm. just really highly disciplined formalities. Yeah. Even when even we, just waking up. Yeah, just waking. That's a that's a procedure. Yeah, we're keeping it real across huh. the board. <sighs> Continuing on in the third army, when troops are not in the actual combat zone, nor engaged in tactical exercises or range firing, corps and separate divisions, di- separate division commanders will see. A, that regular Reveille formations be held in attendance at which there will be a minimum of one officer per company or similar unit, and in addition, when practicable, a minimum of one field officer per regiment or separate battalion. B, that it shall be customary for all organizations to hold formal retreat under arms. Attendance in addition to the prescribed enlisted men shall be all officers of company grade. In the case of regiments and separate battalions, a minimum of one field officer. B, that in the case where music is available and it is practical from a billeting standpoint, frequent regimental and battalion retreat parades and similar ceremonies will be held. Again, this is stuff that in the SEAL teams, this never happens. Mm. I mean, it happens like when someone retires or when there's a funeral. Like it does not happen where you, you could go you could go, you could go years without ever putting on a dress uniform. <laughs> you could go years. So just kind of saying, uh, that unit and organizational guard shall be perform, performed strictly within accordance to FM twenty six TAC five. When music is available, formal guard mounts will be held frequently. E that officers in formation wear a uniform analogous to that worn by the enlisted men, and that all officers participate in all drills and marches at all times with their organizations or units. This includes marching to and from training areas and ranges. So that's what he, that's that's the end of that list. So you can see he ain't playing around. Yeah. Like you're gonna be highly disciplined part of this situation here. So in life, you know, because there's like format, you know, like dinner time, for yes. example. That's like I, another. Yep. I mean, that's not another, but like a, an example of life. It is. Forma- yeah. Formality. formality. Kind of. Hey, hey, fam. It's dinner time. Wash hands. Every day. Six o'clock. Right. 5.55, wash hands. Six o'clock at the table. Yep. That's be, what we're Be doing. home before dinner. Be home before dinner. All those things. Yeah. Those are like things that you could put in your life. Or, you know, wake up when the alarm clock goes off. Get your workout. Like there's things you do every day. Right. Yeah. Brush your teeth. Floss your teeth. Stupid, right? Mm. Until you got your teeth falling out. Yeah. Until you got dental problems. <laughs> dental scenarios. Bedtime too. Well, the dinner time is a big one because it's like everyone does it. There's mm-hmm. a procedure that's in place. Hey, wash hands. Sometimes they have one kid set the table or whatever. Maybe two kids, yeah. whatever. Then you can't just roll out. You got to what? Matt, 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 excuse. Please be excused. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, then, you know, then clean up time or whatever. However you handle yeah. that, there's different ways or whatever. And then you're sort of done, you know, yeah. and it's everybody's a part of that. Yeah. That's what, that's a, a little minor example of this. Yeah. Bedtime good time too, I guess. Thanks. Continues on here. Officers are always on duty. <laughs> and their duty extends to every individual junior to themselves in the U.S. Army. Not only to members of their organization. That's awesome. You know, and this, you want to talk about, like, this is a good way to think about life as a human being, right? Like, your duty extends to every human. Like, I'm here to help other people. Mm. Not just people that I know, but everybody. Next, Americans with arms in their hands are fools as well as cowards to surrender. 
If they fight on, they will conquer. He says this, cases of misbehavior before the enemy will be brought to before general court-martial and tried under the 75th article of war. It has been my experience that many court-martials are prone to view this most heinous offense for which the punishment of death may be inflicted in too lenient a manner. They should realize that the lives of troops are saved by punishment of initial offenders. Cowardice is a disease and it must be checked before it becomes an epidemic. That sounds super hardcore. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I was, I don't even, were you? No, it was Andy and I were training the other day. And we were training on the, like the Jocko mat, right? So we were training on the Jocko mat. And actually, as we showed up, someone else was showing up to train too. And it was two adult males. And they had a 14-year-old kid with them, estimated age. Sure. And, you know, I, I know the dads a little bit. You know, I was, hey, what's going on? Oh, I bring in my friend. Oh, they have their son, or he's got his son here. He trained a little bit here and there. I'm like, okay, but he's, he's not sure about getting back into it. I guess he probably trained when he was, let's say, eight, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. been a few years. Mm-hmm. And the kid, so, the, so, and he, I look over the balcony thing, and I see the kid, and I go, is that him? And he's like, he's like, yeah, is he allowed in? I go, yeah. I go, hey, send that kid up here. So the kid comes up. And I'm just like hanging out, having fun, whatever. <laughs> so then the kid shows up and I'm like getting warmed up with Andy and we take, you know, five minute warm up round. And I say to the kid, I'm like, oh, hey, you know, you trained before? And he says, yeah, I trained a little bit. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, that's awesome. And then I do a couple rounds with Andy and then I say, and the meanwhile, the two dads are training mm-hmm. with Guy, by the way. <sighs> this is a long story. I'm sorry. It's, it's, I'll make it as short as possible. Eventually, I say to the kid, hey, are you going to train? And he goes, well, I'm not sure I'm allowed to. Mm. And I said, no, no, actually, I own the gym. So that means you can go. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, you can go train. So come out on the mat. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking there's a kid here that could change his life and have a better life. And his whole world will improve if he trains jiu-jitsu, yes. right? He's in the gym, bro. I mean, this is like a low-hanging fruit. Let's get this kid in the game. <laughs> sure, yeah. So then... He says, I don't have a gi. What the other, the dad, not his dad, the other guy, the friend of his dad was like, I have one for you. And I go, go get it. Mm-hmm. So then he runs out, goes to get the gi from the car. The kid kind of puts the gi on, comes out on the mat. You can see the kid's not, not really 100% down with this whole thing, right? Yeah. For whatever reason, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because, you know, it's weird to be with your dad and his old man friend, right? Like, sure. yeah. I'm a 15, 14-year-old kid. We hang out with these old guys doing whatever this weird, you know, thing is. Mm-hmm. Here's the apex of the story that I've been trying to get to. Eventually, the kid's on the mat. He's in his gi. I'm training with Andy. We're on a break during rounds. And I hear the kid. So they're on a break, too, because they're doing five-minute rounds. But it's just the two dads. Mm. And I hear them trying to convince the kid to... You know, get around right. with his dad was was the beginner. The other guy is like maybe high level white belt, maybe uh, like blue belt type level. So right, he's kind of right. showing him what to do, yeah. and they, and they're kind of trying to convince the kid, but the kid's kind of like, well, you know, I don't, uh, and so I look over there and I go, hey, you. Get on him right now. You're doing the next round. And the kid just like goes and starts the round. Get on. Get on. I go, hey, you're in. I go, you go against him now. And the kid like just obeyed. Right. Right. My point in saying this whole thing 
is like sometimes that kind of leadership is required because all you're trying to do is push the kid in the right direction, push the soldier in the right direction, push the employee in the right direction. Hey, get up there on that thing. Hey, just make that phone call. Hey, just go confront that guy. You know, like sometimes people need a little push. That's all this kid needed was just a little push. Yeah. And they weren't. He wasn't looking at me like going to say no. I don't want to. And if he would, you know, who knows? I I would have dealt with the scenario appropriately. I at least I would have tried to. Right. But sometimes people just need a little push. Oh, yeah. So this idea, and and that's that whole opening speech from Patton. Say what you want about it. Here's the standard: Americans love winners. Americans hate cowards. Like that's a that's a gang mentality that you can start. Mm-hmm. You can start it in a company. You can start in a business. We don't, you know, we don't settle down. We don't settle for that. You know, like right. whatever it's going to be, mm-hmm. you call that out, and that becomes a part of your culture, yeah. right? So sometimes when he's talking about this cowardice thing, I mean, you hear it all the time, right? You hear it. Well, you hear it with in in an organization. You know, you let a little bit of slack, a little bit of slack here. A little bit. That's why when Hackworth makes the call of, you know, you say to the, the, the enlisted guys say to the officer, hardcore Rakondo, the officers say back, no fucking slack. That starts to become the mentality, even though, and Hackworth even says it in the beginning, people are like, oh, who's this gung-ho, Mr. Gung-ho? It's like, yeah. no, that starts to become the standard. You have to start somewhere. So these are... Methods of leadership. The pro- can people go overboard with this stuff? Of course they can. Totally. That's why there's an economy of leadership that has to be balanced. And there's so many times where Patton, again, kind of like we'd see with Chesty Puller, like Chesty Puller, this big, you know, uh, bombastic figure of courage and 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 bravery, and and being super hardcore, hard nosed. You know, when you read that book about him. Man, he loved those. He loved his guys. Yeah. Hey, old man, you might not want to do that. Remember that? Like, yeah. was this the way he would talk to his guys? Yeah. And yet, he was super hardcore. Pat and same thing. So he's saying, "Look, when you get cowardice, yes, you 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 nip it in the bud. Mm. Get someone acting up, you go, hey, we don't act like that.' And someone goes, oh, gosh. Mm. Next section." is tactical usages, these are good. Uh, combat principles. There is no approved solution to any tactical situation. Boom. There is no approved solution to any tactical situation. There is only one tactical principle which is not subject to change. It is to so use the means at hand to inflict the maximum amount of wounds, death, and destruction on the enemy in the minimum amount of time. That's what doesn't change. <laughs> to so use the means at hand to inflict the maximum amount of wounds, death, and destruction on the enemy in the minimum amount of time. That's not going to change. We're holding, we're holding fast with that one. Next, in battle, casualties vary directly with the time you are exposed to effective fire. Your own fire reduces the effectiveness and volume of the enemy fire, while rapidity of attack shortens the time of exposure. A pint of sweat will save a gallon of blood. That's cover and move, by the way, obviously. We're going to put down fire while we move. That's cover and move. Battles are won by fighting the enemy. Fear is induced by inflicting death and wounds on him. 
Death and wounds are produced by fire. Fire from the rear is more deadly and three times more effective from fire than fire from the front. But to get fire behind the enemy, you must hold him by frontal fire and move rapidly around his flank. Frontal f- frontal attacks against prepared positions should be avoided as possible, if possible. Cover and move and don't attack the you know directly. Use indirect attacks. Thank you. Thank you, General Patton. Catch the enemy by the nose with fire and kick him in the pants with fire in place through movement. <laughs> Cover and move. Hit hard soon. That is with two, two battalions up in a regiment or two divisions up in a corps or two corps up in an army. The idea being to develop your maximum force at once before the enemy can develop his. That's prioritize and execute, by the way. Focus your attacks. You can never be too strong. Get every man and every gun you can secure, provided it does not unduly delay your attack. The German is a champion digger. The larger the force and the more violence you use in your attack, whether it be men, tanks, ammunition, the smaller your proportional losses. This is a tough one. This is one that you you can get caught thinking that, oh, we're gonna do this big attack, that there's gonna be casualties. It's like, there's gonna be less casualties if you do it with the biggest force you can and the most violence you can possibly do your attack with. Never yield ground. It is cheaper to hold what you have than retake what you have lost. Never move troops to the rear for a rest or to reform at night and in the daytime only where absolutely necessary. Such moves may produce a panic. Here's tactical rules in particular subjects. Use roads to march on fields to fight, and troops should not deploy into line until they're forced by enemy fire. When you are advancing in broken country against possible tank attacks and using leap and using leapfrog method, be sure to keep the anti guns up as well. Leapfrog, what you know what that is? As far as the ma- I know what the game leapfrog yeah, yeah, yeah. is, yeah. but it's yeah. also cover and move. Right. What? Because I hold position, you leap forward. Once you get there, you hold position, oh, meaning right. you yeah. either fire or you prepared to fire if you have to, mm-hmm. and then I move. Right. So this is called a leapfrog. In mountain country, secure the heights. Enforcing a pass, secure the heights first. This is an interesting one. The effects of mines is largely mental. Not over 10% of our casualties come from them. And this is... What I, what's interesting about that is that, yeah, it's like it's largely mental because you have fear of this thing that you can't see, but he's saying not 10% of our casualties come from my, come from them, but for, for my generation, it's like 70% of casualties are from IEDs, mm. right? So a little different than just mental. Never permit a unit to dig in until the final objective is reached. Then dig in, wire, and mine. Take plenty of time to set up an attack. It takes at least, this is, here's why I put it. It takes at least two hours to prepare an infantry battalion to execute a properly coordinated attack. Shoving them in too soon produces useless loss. What's funny about this is nowadays we will take two weeks to prepare for an attack. So he's saying, look, hey, you need two hours. (laughs) And the thing is, he's right. If everybody knows their jobs, you put together a simple, clear plan that's flexible, 
You don't need all this time. Mm. In battle, small forces, platoons, companies, and even battalions can do one of three things. Go forward, halt, or run. Think about life. Think about what you can do in life. You can go Mm -hmm. forward, halt, or run. Mm -hmm. What else is there? Go forward, halt, or run. He continues. If they halt or run, they will be an even easier target. Therefore, they must go forward. When caught under fire, particularly of artillery, advance out of it. Never retreat from it. Artillery very seldom shortens its range. So think about that. How often are we in a position where we can go forward, we can halt, or we can run? And what he's saying is you're getting attacked. Instead of going backwards, go forwards. General training. Again, skipping a bunch of sections, but general training. More emphasis will be placed on the hardening of men and officers. All soldiers and officers should be able to run a mile with combat pack in 10 minutes and march eight miles in two hours. When soldiers are in actual contact with the enemy, it is almost impossible to maintain physical condition. But if the physical condition is right before they gain contact, it will not fall off sufficiently during contact to be detrimental. Hardening of men and officers. That's just, that's what we're doing. Just hardening. Doesn't sound very comfortable, by the way. It is not. Not meant to be. Our ability to fight at night as opposed to move into position at night for a dawn attack is pitiably bad. We must learn to execute the attack in the dark. This might be one of my favorites. Sharpen axes, pickaxes, and shovels now and keep them sharp. Just think about that. Sharpen your shovels. I've never sharpened a shovel in my life, but I'm gonna go home today and sharpen my shovels. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Sharpen your shovels, that's a mindset. Yeah. Never mind sharpen your sword. Look, your sword better be sharp. I'm gonna sharpen my damn shovel. Yeah. In the event of. Was that just get ready, be ready? Yeah. Stay ready. Stay ready. I might have to hit you in the head with a pickaxe and I want it to go clean through. Or dig a hole real quick. Or dig a hole. Either way, I'm going to be ready. Yep. Battles are fought by platoons and squads. Place emphasis on small unit combat instructions so that it's conducted with the same precision as close order drill. A good solution applied with vigor now is better than a perfect solution 10 minutes later. Instruction from the squad to the regiment sand tables should be used and the officer or non-com being instructed should give the actual orders he will give in combat. Sand tables need not be complicated. A piece of ground in the lee of a building is just as good and much simpler. I used to have this little kit. I learned this from uh, one of the Australian SAS guys that was stationed with us over at SEAL Team 1. Back in the day. And it was, you know what a secrets box is? Sucret? Secrets, I think Secret, it's called. The breath mint? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a little tin box, yeah, right? Yeah. So in this little tin box, you could open it up. And I had little, little, uh, like little wood, little wood things, little wood placards. And they had each little wood placard was shaped kind of like a teardrop. Okay, so it's, you picture a teardrop, yeah, and then on the teardrop it said, 
PT was the first one. And the next one said PL. And the next one said RTO. So this point man, platoon leader, uh, uh, radio man. And so I had <coughs> one of these little teardrops for each guy in the platoon. And then they, I had like a few pieces of ribbon in there. Okay. And cool. the ribbon is used to go, oh, here's a road. Here's a stream. Okay. Here's a fence. Oh, okay. So what you could do is you could sit down in a perimeter and you could make a little sand table. That's what a sand table is. Oh, okay. That's what he's like, talking about. It's a like little a little diagram. little diagram of what's happening. But and so I had these little, and then I had like a couple, like a, a little tiny house, like a, a, a Monopoly, like, a, <laughs> yeah, like, like two yeah. Monopoly houses. So you could be like, hey, there's a building here and there's a building here. We're going to be moving here. Yeah. That's what I had. It's and so good. you'd be able to break this thing out. You'd seem like a real pro. <laughs> <laughs> the little, so the little, uh, what's well, weird? I don't think I even know what a placard technically is, but you described it pretty good. Where it's just a small teardrop representative of the, yes. the person and the personnel. Re- the reason you have a teardrop, the reason I had a teardrop is because then whatever point the tear, the the oh, thing was pointing at was the way facing. the weapons was facing. Oh, okay, okay yeah, good. Dang, and the Monopoly houses. Wait, was it a house or a condo? Because they're different. The house uh, is a little green one. The condo is a big red one. I think a green one because it's a little bit more tactical. Yeah. And those were only because you couldn't actually show, but you could show how you're going to set up. That would be like the target. So yeah. now we see how we're going to set up. Like targets here, boom. You guys are going here. Here's where we're going to maneuver. Yeah. And then because it's way better. It's just nice. Imagine you're in the field yeah. and you got to draw in the dirt. Right. But you're, draw, you're finding rocks and you're like, no, this is you, RTO. And he's like, wait, which one is me? Right. No, all those problems are solved. Yeah. You Break out the secret box. <laughs> show them what's up. Yeah, man. It's good. Yeah. They do that on a lot of movies. For sure. What the cigarette box? No, not the particular one, but just create a diagram of Mm. the plan, you know. And it's like a rock. Sometimes a rock, depending Mm. on the movie, obviously. Like I'm Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What's his name? Doc Brown. Whatever. He made the this. He's like, please excuse the crude mock up. You know, I didn't have the time to do it to scale. And it's in Ramadi, we we would go to like these briefings, battalion briefings or brigade briefings. They would have they had massive sand tables. You'd walk around on them. Oh, okay. Like yeah. all the roads were laid out. You know, the, a road would be four inches wide, you know, six yeah. inches wide, and all the buildings built out of blocks, yeah. out of just two by four. Somebody, some some, some private, artist. some private yeah. was sitting there <laughs> sawing up two by fours and gluing them together, having a good old time too. But you get the thing is, once again, in comparison to the thing that you just look at on a PowerPoint, right. when you start walking around that visual, yeah. actual model. Yeah. You get a better understanding of it. Yeah, seems then, like you no would doubt. fully. Yeah. So get yourself a little scrap box. Altoids? It's like an Altoids. Probably. Book, right? Same deal. Probably. Maybe I can make one and like show it to people. I don't think I could find I used to have it. I can't find it anymore. What? The Sucrets? The su- no, the whole little kit that I used to have. I might Wait, be but able that, to find it. You that. made that kit, yeah, though. You made it. It's not like, yeah. Yeah, made cool. it. Dang. Maybe I need to make one that I could offer to people. Sure, I'm right. Sure. Yeah, I'm oh, sure there's yeah. people everywhere that are waiting. Mm-hmm. They need to sure just for just to randomly have or what? Like, <laughs> shoot. Uh, all right, yeah, I think that's a DIY situation. Yeah, yeah just make them yourself. I'm not going to make them. Part of the value. Decision's been made. Yeah, kind of want to though. <laughs> it is cool because that's the kind of stuff you do when you're li- like a little kid. Let's face that's it. That's what's awesome about being in the SEAL teams or in the military is like all the things that you did when you were a little kid. You're actually doing for real, and it's the best. Yeah, thing in the world. and it's like real. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm really doing this. Yeah, I really did that. A real mission. You know, I really, cr- like, I really sat and briefed my guys on like killing people. 
You know, it's you, you sit there and you think back, like, well, well that's what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I did that. I gave that brief. You know, it's like, it's, crazy, it's so lucky to be in, to be in the situation where you get to grow up and do what you wanted to do. <laughs> I didn't even grow up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Guides. Oh, officers and men must know their equipment. They must train with the equipment they intend to use in battle. Equipment must be the best operational condition when taken to the theater of operations. Yeah, you you have to use what you're going to use. You have to. Guides for officers. Officers must possess self-confidence and confidence of their men and the confidence of their men. Two of the best ways of producing this is meticulously conducted close order drill conducted by officers and platoon marches of 48 to 60 hours during which the platoon is wholly on its own. <laughs> Check. In the first actions, new troops must receive aggressive leadership by all grades, including general officers who must be seen in the front, in the, in the front line during action. Check. There is a universal failure to repeat back oral orders. This failure is certain to result in grave errors. Messages and orders must use concise military verbiage. So that's the second time he's hitting on this. Makes you start to think, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Maybe he's on to something. When you tell somebody to do something, have them tell it back to you. Mm -hmm. Make it simple, clear, and concise. Prisoners, German prisoners over 40 talk more easily than the younger ones. They must be examined separately and not returned to cages where the young ones are. Prisoners and other Germans usually talk, or prisoners other than Germans usually talk freely and inaccurately. They too should be examined out of hearing and later separated from the young Nazis. Yeah, you can imagine, I mean, just like we read in, in unit, it's not unit 731, oh, ordinary men. Uh, in the police battalion, the the older Nazis, like they, they weren't convinced. You can mm-hmm. imagine you when you capture them, they're like, oh, "Let me tell you what's going on." <laughs> you you capture a young militant, oh, yeah. you know, fifteen year old Nazi Hitler youth. He's not mm-hmm. going to say anything to you. He's yeah. going to say blood and honor, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. There is a tendency for the chain of command to overload junior. Oh, there is a tendency for the chain of command to overload junior officers with excessive requirements in the way of training and reports. You will alleviate, you will alleviate this burden by eliminating non-essential demands. Boom! There you go. Everybody should listen to that. Part of it, you know how uh, you get in situations where you be, your basic attitude, well, is it? Well, it sucked for me. I had to go through it. Now I'm going to make you go through it too. Yeah. That's what the, I think some of this is because of that some of it's because people lose memory of what it was like. Yeah. And so they they start they just carry on a tradition. Some yeah. of it's like, oh, I had to do those reports when I was a new guy. Now you're mm-hmm. going to do them too. Yeah. I wonder what do you think about that where okay, I'm not okay, there's two, kind of two parts. There's there's the part where it's like, okay, there's some valuable things that a new guy has to go through true, that seem true, like a true, hazing or true, a blah, blah, blah. Yes. But it actually serves the actual the purpose, purpose yep. right? And then there's that additional like, oh, that's the tradition. As a new guy, you yep. got to, yep. I don't know, pay your dues for lack yeah, of a better term. Do you think there's value in that? For, for like, there's, There is some value. There is definitely some value. And, and also, you know, when p- 
and Leif and I talk about this all the time when we got told to do paperwork and Leif and Seth didn't want to do paperwork and they're like, Jocko, can you put a stop to this? And I'm like, no, actually, we're going to do the paperwork. Mm. That doesn't mean that I said, oh, I like doing the paperwork and I think it's beneficial. No, I was trying to build a relationship with my boss. Mm. As often as I could, especially in overseas, I tried to eliminate as much paperwork as possible. Mm. It wasn't always successful, but I tried. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there is, and you know, when I went to officer candidate school, there was all kinds of things that seem really dumb when you're there, especially I went there and I would have been in the, in the Navy for eight years, so I kind of understood what was happening. But those people that had just been in the Navy for 10 weeks, when the drill instructor finally said, hey, this is, this is why we do this to you, mm-hmm. and everything kind of makes sense. So there's definitely something, you know, I, not looking at your meal while you're eating it, right? Mm. What does that do? Develops your peripheral vision. Mm. Yelling everything that you say, what does that do? It allows you to speak with more confidence. Yeah. It, allow, it makes you learn how to think before you speak. Mm. Think about every time you talk, you have to yell at the top of your lungs. That's what you have to do at officer candidate school. Every single time you talk, the mm. entire time you're there, you have to yell at the top of your lungs. Huh. So anyone that's shy is going to get over it. Anyone right. that's like... Yeah. Like uncomfortable, I had, a, I had a professor when I went to college, and when she spoke, she covered her mouth. Yeah. Right. Every time she spoke, she yeah. covered her mouth uh-huh. because she just didn't want to talk, and she was a professor, yeah. you know? So she needs to go to OCS and yell at the top of her lungs sure. for 13 weeks. She'd yeah. have walked out of there going, hand away from mouth, yeah. talking confidently, teaching the class. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, that's. I would assume that's co- pretty common. I don't like to yell, you know, when they're like, hey, like actually yell and mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, I don't really like to do it. I, yeah. I, I okay, can. I'll get you a billet at OCS. Yeah. 13 weeks of yelling. Yeah. Maybe get that voice adjusted a little bit. <laughs> yep. Check. Uh, section here on infantry. Infantry must move in order to close with the enemy. It must shoot in order to move. Cover move. I need to make this stuff up, man. It's so interesting when people, you know, uh, say, oh, I don't know about that. It's like, no, cover and move is a real thing. It's undeniable. Yeah. Undeniable. Um, when physical targets are not visible, the fire of all infantry weapons must search the area probably occupied by the enemy. I remember when I learned that for the first time. I remember, oh, I think it was actually, I think it might have been Roger Hayden. That was like, no, shoot where you think the enemy would be. Mm. I was like, oh. Because if you think where they could be, I mean, when you're getting fired at from a certain area, you look to that area, you can't tell exactly where the enemy is, so you shoot in the five most likely places that you see. Mm. There, and everyone else in your platoon or task unit is doing the same thing, you're gonna be shooting at the bad guys. Like mm. somewhere. Mm. Um, it reduces, and when you're doing that, it reduces the accuracy of his fire and increases our confidence. Shoot short. This is another thing we learned all the time. Ricochets make nastier sounds and wounds. Do you understand that? So when you're shooting at a bad guy, shoot low. Yeah. Who's someone was saying that? I think it was Roger Hayden. We all, yeah, it's probably Roger Hayden. Yeah. Walking it in with a machine gun. It's just kicking the the, the ricochets are flying. What ricochets, that means the bullet's tumbling when it hits you. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, And if you don't, or if you shoot high, it doesn't hit anything at all. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So shoot short. Ricochets make nastier sounds and wounds. To halt under fire is folly. 
to halt under fire and not fire back is suicide. Move forward out of fire. Officers must set the example. Next, well, skip a few sections here. Few men are killed by the bayonet. Many are scared of it. Bayonets should be fixed when the firefight starts. Bayonets must be sharpened by the individual soldier. The German hates the bayonet and is inferior to our men with it. Our men should know this. <laughs> that is psychological warfare. Like what he's actually doing, sure, bayonets are psychological, but what he's actually saying there, he's saying that you know you have to sharpen your own bayonet. Think about the psychological beauty of that scenario. Yep, yeah. And then you think the German hate. Does Patton know the German individual soldier hate? <laughs> he doesn't know that. But you know what? I'm going to tell my freaking entire third army that the German hates the bayonet. They're scared of it. It makes sense. And we're better at it than they are. And even starts this whole thing. A few people are even killed with the bayonet, but it doesn't matter. They're scared of it. Sharpen it. We're better than them with the bayonet. It it makes sense. Like if you see, uh, um, I don't know, even a picture of a guy. But let's say like a guy, some crazy guy, your enemy. He's mad. He wants to kill you. Mm -hmm. And he has a gun. You're like, okay, he has a gun. We all Mm -hmm. have guns. All good. Mm -hmm. But if the guy has a psychotic blade on the front of his gun and he's like sharpening it himself, (laughs) you're like, bro, I'm not going near that guy. But he's like, that knife makes him seem crazy. There is something very zen and beautiful about sharpening your knife too. Yeah. Like it's a a soul cleansing task. Yes, sir. Sharpening your knives, and you know, now I'm adding to that sharpening your shovel. (laughs) (laughs) Good idea. Uh, Next, the M1 rifle is the most deadly rifle in the world. If you cannot see the enemy, you can at least shoot at the place where he's apt to be. Same message there. He's got something in here, I might not have outlined it, but just he, he basically. You know, these things that he's saying, he knows that he's saying them for the psychological boost for his troops. Hmm. He says here, the defense will consist of mutually supporting small groups arranged in depth and completely wired in. He didn't say overlapping fields of fire, but he should have. Mines will be placed. Talks about artillery, talks about armor, talks about recon, talks about anti-aircraft and anti-tanks. And and look, all those things are brilliant and I'm not breezing through them because I don't love artillery and I don't love armor. Anybody that knows anything about me knows that I love armor and artillery. Um, but he, these, the sections in this are very, very tactical. He talks about maintenance. Weapons will be kept in perfect order. Preventative maintenance will be enforced. Particular attention should be given to tire pressure, lubrication, battery voltage, and water in radiators. Vehicles will be serviced and made operational before their crews rest. Vehicles will be marked in accordance with paragraph 6, TAC 14, AR 850, TAC 5. We, were, we did a long, long mission, like a whole cycle of darkness, my first deployment. And we got back to base and everyone was beat. And my leading petty officer was in the, he was the lead nav. And the lead nav guy is the kind of guy that directs the convoy. And we drove, we got back to the gate in Baghdad at our base at Baghdad. And he's like, he comes up on the radio and he's like, hey boss, can we just uh, take the vehicles back and refuel, you know, later? 
And I let it sit right there like that. I didn't say anything. <laughs> and then I finally go, negative, take it to the fuel depot. And he's like, Roger. <laughs> he already knew the answer. He already right? knew the answer. Right when dude. you jammed up the, the right, rhythm. Right when I jammed up the rhythm, he already knew the answer. And he was like, Roger. <laughs> and I let everybody, I let everybody, because we're exhausted, man. Yeah. It's been, and it was freezing cold. It was freezing cold. It was raining. So it's raining like so the and this is before we we had doors. We didn't have doors on our Humvees. Mm. So it's probably uh, 35 or 40 degrees because there was a little bit of sleet happening. So it was right around the freezing mark and we Mm. did uh, probably a four hour drive to get to the target area. The target was outside. It took us a few hours to get this whole thing settled. We ended up with a giant, we ended up having to move around a giant cache of weapons that we captured outside in the rain, blah, 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 and then we get in the vehicles. And so you're, you're in the vehicles, it's 35 to 40 degrees, mm-hmm. it's raining, and you got a 50 mile an hour wind the entire time because the, door, the doors are open. So everyone's freezing. When we get back, the sun's coming up. So it's been an entire cycle of darkness. So I don't know how many hours, but something like, no, there's no sleep. Yeah, and the LPO comes over the radio. He's like, hey boss, can we just take it back to camp and fuel up vehicles later? And I'm like, negative. Let's take it to the fuel depot. He's Wait, like, where was this Roger, that it was? Baghdad. Dang, it gets that cold, huh? Yeah. Huh. Yep. Middle of the winter. Yeah. Cold, especially with that 60 mile an hour wind. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so there you go. That's the deal. That's the deal. You take care. You take care of that team gear. Makes sense. Because I guarantee you that one time you decide you're gonna not fuel up the vehicles, that's the time you're gonna get called out on a QRF. And we would get called out on QRFs yeah. pretty regularly. Yeah. Not not all the time, but I mean, it was no. It was a high, it was a decent percentage, not a high percentage, but there's a decent percentage that we'd get a call that said, hey, we need QRF out here, we need QRF over there. And we'd be like, cool, let's, cool. You need quick reaction force, meaning troops are in trouble. Yeah. Hold on while we refuel our vehicles. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, we're never gonna do that. And that's not to mention the precedent, right? Where, you know, and this goes for anything or whatever. I know it's very prevalent with kids where, you know, they they want to push up against the rule, not in some, you know, hostile way or whatever, just sort of like, just let me see. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, like, I don't know, no dessert uh, during the week or something like this. And then it's like a weeknight. Hey, can we have, come on. We've, you know, we've been. No, <laughs> not happening. Yeah. We're not doing it. <laughs> yeah, you give them dessert that one day. It's kind of like, ooh, they know. Like, ooh, sure, that's the rule. But yeah. Yeah. under certain emotional circumstances, maybe yeah. we can get away with that one. The cool thing, I mean, and, you know, he, hey, you know what? LPO's looking out for the boys, Yeah, which is part of the job, right? There's part. Of, there's a push-pull, right? There's always that push-pull. He's looking out for the boys. He knows they're tired. Hey, look, even if we got called for QRF, we're not super effective because we've been up for 20 30 hours, right? Yeah, huh? So we're not super effective, and he's probably thinking about that, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually but a good point. He ha- he would technically have, like, a little argument. He has an argument. You know, it's like, hey, sure. we're, like, less effective, and yeah. rest is important, yeah, 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 yeah. as Patton said. Yeah. So, hey, man. So, yeah, it makes sense. But, but we had to hold the line on that one. Yeah, that makes sense. The QRF situation makes more sense. Yeah, QRF situation is important. And well, you'd rather the guys be a little bit more tired than the, the vehicles be on empty. There was a good moment of silence on that one. The other good moment of silence, we, we got, this is again, my first deployment to Iraq, and we got 
we got ambushed in a convoy and pretty typical, I was in the number two vehicle, pretty typical that the enemy wouldn't realize where we were because we would drive really fast, blacked out. They wouldn't realize until towards the end of the convoy. And so in this particular one, we got ambushed and it was mostly centered on the back vehicles, Mm -hmm. right? But I was looking, you know, as I'm looking at my field of fire, you know, I can see all kinds of tracers going by. I can see, and then they fired a couple RPGs that went over our convoy and exploded on my side of the road because they they, uh, ambushed us from the other side. So this big ambush happens and, you know, the call comes out, which actually the call was made by the same guy that was asking the question earlier, it was the LPO who's lead nav. And, you know, he just, he's a push through, push through, which is totally normal. So we did it. And then we just keep going, right? And I don't say anything. <laughs> and, uh, and then my platoon chief, again, both my LPO and platoon chief, awesome guys, you know, we, we always had a good time, but he comes up on the radio and you can hear in his voice, he's a little bit, a little bit spun up, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, he's like, uh, he's like, hey, Jocko, you, you, you heard we got ambushed back here? And I just like, long moment of silence, and I said, Roger. <laughs> yep. And that was it. We, we did what we had to do, but those are mm-hmm. funny moments of silence that happen from time to time. Because everyone's kind of, cause, because in my platoons, in my task unit, no Talking on the radio was so limited Mm -hmm. like no Basically no one talked on the radio, you know, unless you had something really important to say Mm -hmm. And so when there was something on the radio everyone was 100% listening to it And when someone was asking me a question everyone was 1000% listening to what my response is gonna be Especially when it's like hey, we might get some more sleep or hey, we just got ambushed does Jocko (laughs) know It's like both those people are going what are we gonna do because there's a possibility Mm -hmm. it's like hey all stop, we're gonna turn around and go and hunt down these people that ambushed us, which is not a good idea, and, yeah. and we didn't do it, but you know, everyone's thinking maybe I'm gonna say that, or maybe I'm gonna say whatever, but everyone's mm-hmm. listening to what my response is gonna be. Yeah. Little moment of silence, dramatic effect, possibly. <laughs> possibly, yeah, possibly. <laughs> uh, or I'm just actually, here's what's actually happening, I'm sitting there considering the situation, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, is everyone okay? They must be, or we'd get a casualty report, or, Hey, maybe we should go to sleep before you feel. I'm thinking through the actual situation. I'm not just, you know, trying to be a jerk. Right. Or trying to be cool. Trying to be cool. I'm actually thinking, okay, I know we got ambushed. I'm waiting for, is there a casualty? I think, you know, I might have said something like, are we up? Or no, if the push through call comes, everyone calls, calls vehicles up. Up from there. Six is up, five is up, four is up, three is up. So I already know everyone's good. We're already good. There you go. Check. All right. This last section is called Care of Men. Which once again, you know, you look at the you look at the uh, leadership strategy and tactics manual and some of the most important things that I try and make as clear as possible is that you gotta you gotta care about your men. You gotta care about your people. That's what you gotta do. It's what Mukayama taught me. I mean, I wouldn't say Mukayama taught me that, but when he said it, I was like, that's the underpinning of everything, you know? Uh, this thing that's been a, a tenet of my leadership principles, a, let's, call it an, let's call it a 
a sort of a, 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 a flying below the radar tenant. You know, yeah, like, yeah. oh yeah, you gotta take care of your people, yeah. I totally get that. But when I heard Mukuyama, General Mukuyama talk about it, and we talked about Hackworth and just, I was like, oh yeah. yeah. It's not just, it's not just under the radar. Yeah. It's the real thing. Yeah. So, hence, General Patton has got an entire section called Care of Men. Officers are responsible not only for the conduct of their men in battle, but also for their health and contentment when not fighting. An officer must be the last man to take shelter from fire and first to move forward. Similarly, he must be the last man to look after his own comfort at the close of a march. He must see that his men are cared for. The officer must constantly interest himself in the rations of men. He should know his men so well that any sign of sickness or nervous strain will be apparent to him and he can take such such action as may be necessary. Again, why is he talking about this? This is Patton. This is, you know, they show in the movie the big scene where he slaps around the guy as a coward and all that stuff. Get, get this guy out of this uh, ward. He had this reputation that he's like abusive. Freaking care about your men. And think about what he's saying here. Like the last, the, the last guy to move for cover. The last guy to take care of himself after a march. The rations go to the men first. Everything is about the troops. That's what a leader is. Uh, continue. He must look after his men's feet. See that they have properly fitting shoes in good condition. That their socks fit. Loose or tight socks make sore feet. He must anticipate change of weather and see that proper clothing and footgear is asked for and obtained. So that's that's what. That's the last thing that he talks about, is caring for your men. The successful soldier wins battles cheaply so far as his own casualties are concerned. But he must remember that violent attacks, although costly at the time, save lives in the end. So, yes, that once it's the same message he's been giving. Violence, although it seems like it's going to increase casualties, if you attack violently it will save lives in the end and that and that right there is the best way that you can care for your people have them ready have them trained have them disciplined and then go on the attack and this thing is signed gs patton jr lieutenant general u.s army commanding so awesome information from Patton once again and I, I got I've got some more we may even roll right into I've got some more Patton stuff to talk about you know because there's some things that people freak out about It's very flamboyant right sure let's face it that's not really my style right flamboyant's not really my thing right sure. so he's got some things that we're gonna need to talk about that we will perhaps we'll do it next time but eventually we'll get to it so Patton, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater if you don't like that those parts of him because believe me, as flamboyant as this guy was, he was about discipline. He was about taking care of his people and we can all learn a lot. We can also talk about the fact that you know he sometimes didn't play the game and he didn't get the positions he wanted to probably oftentimes because he didn't play the game. So we can talk about all that stuff. For now, we're gonna hold what we got uh, 
just did some live gigs and I've done DC New York Austin LA everything sold out Seattle and San Francisco are still come but they're both already sold out but anyways it's been awesome it's been an incredible experience and meeting everyone and I can't this isn't to ask you to come because they're already done but I just wanted to say to everyone that came out to them um, thank you for coming to them they were incredible to be a part of so and I will schedule some more of them and maybe echo will come I don't know maybe are you gonna come to Seattle um, San Francisco San Francisco okay cool sold out so if someone was just kind of waiting to hear if you were gonna be there <laughs> too late yeah. Uh, awesome you know with that Echo Charles we are trying to be you know we're taking advice from General Patton we're trying to be more disciplined we're trying to be more courageous in we're trying to be physically hardened hardened we're trying to be better mm-hmm. what do you know of that can perhaps help us in all those arenas Echo. Yes. aside from sharpening our shovels we can all right we're gonna do jujitsu train today you didn't i did yeah you didn't yep. you you were uh preoccupied doing various things i was actually preparing for this podcast which which is what i have to do yeah See, well i prepared for this no 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 podcast. you yeah. press record <laughs> which is great it's more of a mental preparation but okay. Okay. You know, nonetheless, I feel good about that. How'd you feel? Did you, okay, be honest. Were you like, my goal was, was hey, I did not make my goal. Yeah. My goal was to be prepped by noon, come in here, train, shower, record. Yeah. That's That was the plan. Mm-hmm. I did not accomplish my mission. So I had to prioritize and execute. Yeah, we uh, owe this podcast to our people. Yes. We will not prioritize my personal agenda of training above taking care of the troops. The troops expect a podcast. Yes. On Wednesday, Tuesday night even. Yes, sir. We must deliver. That means I have work to do. I know it doesn't mean anything to you. <laughs> I know it doesn't interfere with any part of your personal life, <laughs> any part of your personal time, but I have work to do. It does. It's just more psychological. Okay. Well... <laughs> You keep telling yourself that. I'll Nonetheless. be over here grinding. <laughs> All right, you're the grind. Regular man, of course. Yeah. And, you know, I only say that because when you came in at the tail end of training, yeah. you know, you're ready to, you know, to oh, believe record me. and you're prepped and you're good. Even the way you made me look, you looked at me in a way that I was like, okay, cool. I can yep. get changed right now. <laughs> What's what is that? What you just said was written all over your face. Oh, yeah. Like you came in, there were some, you know, there were some people here, you know, boom, Jocko's, uh, you know, here taking some pictures or whatever. And meanwhile, I'm <laughs> looking at you, and you see me, and I see in your face, like, oh man, you're you're training, like you're lucky. You know? And here's the actual funny part. I'm just remembering that part. The funny part is when you walked out on the mat, you took off your shoes, you oh, walk out on the mat. And when you walk out on the mat, I think this is just kind of in all of us anyway. Mm-hmm. It's where you sort of like you feel like, for lack of a better term, the energy of the mat. Yeah, oh, for you know? sure. So that's why it feels weird if you if you have your regular clothes on and you walk out on the mat. Yeah. You're like, bro, you feel weird. You feel it's weird like it's, not, it's sure. not jamming or it's not um, vibing together, you know. Mm-hmm. So you walked out on the mat. <laughs> 
like the look in your eye, kind of like you were kind of warming up or something. Oh, I like know. you're Because <laughs> think of how many thousands and thousands and thousands of times when I take off my oh, flip yeah. flops, my slippers, mm-hmm. what we used to call them in Hawaii, yep. I take off my slippers and go on the mat. It's like, that means something. Yeah. It's That's like, to, yeah. it's like when I used to put down my nods on my, you know, on my helmet. You right. flip down your nods, all right. of a sudden it's like, okay, right. it's on. You lock and load your weapon, you're like, okay, it's yeah. on. You lock and load your weapon all the time. You get do it in your, you know, you're like, okay, cool. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. So I walk out on the mat, take off my take off my slippers and walk out on the mat. You felt a little something. And, and you know, it's like, yeah. And I see you yeah. kind of giving off a vibe, right? Yeah. <laughs> when I, because you were you were literally pacing. Oh, and here's the sure, thing: bro. we weren't being hostile, making jokes like no. that kind. It wasn't like, hey, why aren't you? It wasn't that. We were talking about something like for like legitimately normal. But you were pacing out there. Yeah. I was like, oh, I, I wanted to freaking train really bad today, and that <laughs> pissed me off. So, hey man, that's life. Actually, let's go. Okay, so jujitsu. That's one of the many good things about jujitsu, and I mentioned this before, where it's like so good exercise, so good mentally, physically, like all this stuff. And it's you know, literally of course, fun. Yeah, it's literally, literally the fun. Thing. Yeah, like if you come in, and this goes for me, even if I'm like there just to record, whatever. And not uh, to train for real. Like, I'm here for a specific reason not to train or whatever. And I come and I see people training or whatever. I literally feel like I'm missing out. Like, I'm missing out. You know how, like, mm. when your friends go hang out and go do something and yeah. you got to stay home and, like, I do homework like or whatever? Time, for sure. Yeah. It felt like you felt you, you kind of missed out a little I did. I did. Sorry, bro. It's all good. But this, to me, this podcast was very good. So I'm kind of glad you did. And the good news about it is Jujitsu is going to be here. It's going to be here tomorrow. It's going to be here next but week. But I can't ever get this day back of training. Yeah. That might have been a little something. Yeah, maybe. That I could have learned. Or maybe next time it's going to be a little something. It's all part of the game. Ups, downs. You don't go every that single day. almost sounded like a threat. Yeah. <laughs> no, sir. And it is not too no, late to train <laughs> right now. Because we will do it. Uh, not a threat. You know, I'm just saying that that's that's how it goes sometimes. You said a little you know, something. I meant learning-wise. Okay. You know. Nonetheless... Hey, it will be here, and actually, which kind of lends support to the point that, hey, not everyone is doing jujitsu right now, but guess what? It should be. If you go tomorrow, it'll be it'll be there. If you walk in tomorrow. Yeah, and also, if you walk in, and it's your first day, and you don't know anything about it, there's other people. Everyone on that mat has been there. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Yep. Get, go get on the mat. And in fact, chances are, that's a good point right there, because chances are more people are going to be like new people yes. than advanced people. Sure. It could probably, what would you say would be the average if you go on any random, and granted a lot of times they have a beginner's class, which is even bigger percentage of new people. I think it's a bell curve. Yeah, it's like half, right? Well, you say half or white belt? A bell curve, bottom 10%, like they don't know anything, or they, bottom 10%, three months or less Mm -hmm. of training. Mm -hmm. The middle is whatever, anywhere between three months and five years. And then there's like the top 10% have been training for, actually at our school is a lot more than, yeah, we are a little heavy on the top end. We're heavy on the bottom end too. No, yeah, I, well, well maybe, you know what? It, no, no, you're, Harry, our school is so big and like, you know, there's the gi part, there's no gi, then it's like we're, um, you know, like the advanced guys. But I'm just saying like when I get on the mat, there's most, there's so many people that have five years, eight years, yeah. 10 years. It's a lot of people. That's yeah, that's true. But there's a bunch of people too that just started. Right. You know what What it could be, and then again, I'm over here just researching it right now in my head, where <laughs> it not, could be. That's not research, by the way. <laughs> no, 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 that's not right. at all, actually. That's just thinking. <laughs> <laughs>
Anyway, when you go out on the mat and you see all our advanced guys, or, or should I say all the guys that are here that are advanced, chances are you know them. Yeah. So they're like, oh, man, we have a lot of them, you yeah. know, whatever. But meanwhile, well, I could say like, the same thing about people that I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's true, too. Because I don't Oh, I don't know that guy. He must not ever train before. He could be training for a year. Right. Yeah, that's true, too. I mean, most if someone's training here for a year, I know him. Yeah, but anyways. unless he's like a yeah different schedule unless different guy. schedule, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I think so. But and but then you have to think about the belt distribution curve too. It's like super bottom heavy because as you progress up the belt ranks, There's you either progress out, yes, exactly right because you progress out of the belt or out of jujitsu. Right? Okay, Don't so you me. mentioned gi no gi. What does all that mean? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Anyway, all right, get a gi, get an origin gi. Everybody knows that's the best gi in the world, straight up factually. You mentioned facts versus opinions. This is a fact, not an opinion. Mm-hmm. Happens to be made in America along with other stuff. OriginMain.com yes, origin is where we get these things that are made in America. All this stuff, including- Are they 100% made in America? Yes. What about where the substances that they're made of, where are those things from? What, like the cotton that's grown? Yes. So they can put it through the loom. <laughs> to a million different moving parts in the loom, by the way. Yeah. And made into the fabric that is woven and then constructed into various items. Okay. Including geese and including jeans. Oh, yeah. Jeans. Uh, boots. Boots. T-shirts. Shirts, shirts and rash guards. Guards, so hoodies. clothing is what we're talking beanies clothing. okay so you can get a lot of clothing made in america best clothing ever in the world factually yeah how many jeans have i owned in my life probably okay my adult life i've probably owned let's call it tw- not a lot there's not a lot of jeans because i i would have jeans for like eight years yeah. right seems about right maybe eight years is long but anyways i'd have jeans for a while yeah uh I probably had 20 pairs of jeans in my adult life. Yeah. Now, my jeans, origin jeans, are the best jeans that I've ever worn. Now, I, I can't say I've ever worn a pair of $640, uh, what are those called? Like Skinny jeans? No, I haven't owned any of those. I haven't had any of the... Uh, Low like, rise like, boot cut. Yeah, like, all. well, no, I mean, what's the word? Designer jeans. <laughs> Even even at the yeah, height, even at the height of designer jeans, which, by the way, at the height of all that stuff, MMA was totally wrapped around that stuff. Oh right! Huh. Like yeah. if you were to develop, if you were to like find a picture in in two thousand and six, two thousand and eight, of a bunch of MMA guys, of which you and I both were, there is a high percentage that 50% of the individuals in that picture would be wearing jeans that had non-functional aspects to them. (laughs) I think you're right about that. And therefore they would be determined as designer jeans and they cost, you know, several hundred dollars. Yeah. So even at the height of that, you cannot find pictures of me in jeans that have non-functional aspects. You can only find me in jeans that have functional aspects. I believe I believe that, yes. So, check. You can get jeans from Origin <coughs> that are functional. Functional, slightly designer. There's no designer no to designer, our jeans. Zero. No, no, no fashion? Do they, no fashion. They, no, no fashion. 
the form follows function. So do they look appropriate? Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. Do they have spirit? Yes. <laughs> do they have soul? Affirmative. I agree. Well, they're the only jeans that I wear, so you know, obviously, I'm not. I'm. I'm trying yeah. to tease out the. Oh, you the, got yourself you know, a pair. The, you milked. No, the pair? not not the Delta. Oh, you ones, Delta just, 68. You know, just the regular, uh, you know, functional right ones. On. Factory that I got. jeans. Oh called. yeah, very good though. Nonetheless, yes, OriginMain.com. You can get all this stuff. Also, supplements, joint warfare, krill oil. These are for your joints. Maintain, stay in the game. For real, mm-hmm. you can be super strong. Mm-hmm. You can squat six hundred pounds, literally. If you can squat 600 pounds, but your joints are jamming you up, but you're not squatting nothing. Maybe you'll do your warm-up set and then just sort of not squat or whatever, deadlift, whatever you're doing. Nonetheless, joint warfare, krill oil, these are very good for your joints, and they will keep you in the game. Discipline and discipline go. I'm not going to say that I lived off of it on my last week and a half where I was getting zero sleep and just... Having to do interviews with people. Well, those things end at, what, nine technically, but you just go, right? Because you don't, like, leave. Oh, no, 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 that's cool. No, the the live gigs for sure, but getting interviewed by whatever, different news channels. I had to wake up at 1 o'clock in the morning to go on Coast to Coast AM. Have you ever listened to that? Uh, not that I know. I do. Anyways, I, I was up at one o'clock and went one to three, and then at whatever six forty-five, I was sitting in a studio on national TV, getting interviewed. You know, like right. so, no sleep, no food, no factor. Guess what? Discipline go gets up. You can feel it, yeah. but the can you can feel it. Mix up some Jocko Palmer, totally good to go. Get, get your A game on, and it and take yourself one of the Discipline Go. Pills. Get that hitter. <laughs> Mulk, by the way. Yeah. Mulk. Is there. Mulk, I was like, because I've been, you know, I have the big t- uh, what is it, containers, yep. but I have the packages left over from the mustard oh, or whatever. Nice. Or that do, must be nice. Do. Does Origin yes. sell the packs? Yes, okay. we do. Okay, so yeah, if you just, real for real, just want a hitter. Yeah. That's yeah, a hitter, by the way. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, milk extra protein in the form of a dessert, hitter or otherwise. Hitter <laughs> or full dessert. And don't forget about the Warrior Kid milk as well for the kid, so that way you don't have to kid your feed your kid poison. Yes. Unbeknownst to them, they think you're giving them a treat. Which you are. Which you are. An evil treat. If it's filled with sugar, or you can give them something that's good for you. Yeah, the front end. Something the that's good for them. The, so remember, you know, the, the deal with the devil, right? You know, the deal with the devil, that whole expression. Okay. So I'm like, well, what does that even mean? That's, you know what it is? And it's really kind of simple, and you actually essentially talk about it. It's like basically you do something for a short term versus the expenses at the long term. The so devil wants you to take the short term yeah. scenario. Yeah. That's yeah, so that's what the, the treats a lot of the time for the kids are. It's to deal with the devil. It's like, oh, my oh, gosh, they're yeah. so happy with you. Oh, my gosh, they're so, you know, they're behaving so well right now because yep. of the treat, and they're so happy. Look at their little smiles on their face. Look at their little diabetic <laughs> souls being <laughs> saved by sugar. No. Yeah, that's the devil collecting, collecting on his deal. Yeah. So don't yeah. do that. Jocko White Tea. Yes, also Jocko White Tea. I'm into the cans mm. more than the brew. Um, I'm into both. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm more into the cans. I like to, by the way. Right on. 
Also, Jocko has a store. It's called Jocko Store. And this is where you can get more shirts, more hoodies, beanies. Rash guards. Rash guards. Oh, yeah. More representative of the path directly. Indeed. You're looking at me like you want me to say something else. No, no, no. I'll say yes, you're right. Yeah, all right. Yeah, well, there you go. Your statement is approved. There you go. Even Jocko said. And you know what's funny? Actually, what's funny about you saying this is when I see someone, and like at the live events, of -hmm. course, saw a lot of people that were were representing on the path, and I would say to them, you're representing on the path. Yeah. So it's your little statement that you make about representing on the path has now become part of the lexicon of the troopers. Good. There you go, Echo Charles. Well, good. Yeah, I feel like that's sort of sort of what. There's your contribution. <laughs> Pressing record and saying that. The lexicon. Yeah. What does lexicon mean? Like the verbiage, the, the words that we use. Oh, uh-huh. all right. Mm-hmm. Boom. There you go. And yes, it is always. I mean, let's face it, man. Like you see anywhere, even at an event, you see somebody representing, you're like, you, yeah. you, know, you, you feel a little something. You There's a connection. There's a connection. Yep. Big time. <laughs> And the last, jockostore.com. If you like something, get something. Represent, man. Represent. I'll see you in the wild. I'll recognize. And if you like listening to this podcast, which if you don't, you're not hearing this right now. So I guess we're just talking to the people, everyone that's listening to this right now. Because if you don't like the podcast, you're not listening. So if you do, subscribe to it. Yes. Is it important to subscribe? It's not not important. It's not a throwaway thing. So it must be. But yeah, do you think when when you subscribe to the podcast, it's sort of like when you were a little kid and you got some new uh, sneakers, and it makes you feel a little bit faster? When when you actually click subscribe, you're like, yeah, you know, I'm. It's a level of commitment that you're making to the you know to the path. Yeah, kind of. It's It's more of a symbol. No, it's It's not hitting you. I feel like it's more of a symbolic commitment because let's face it, you can just you click unsubscribe just as easily easily as subscribe. You know, in case, like, if you don't like it or whatever. But you know what? Functionally, no. Functionally, look. If you live, depends on where you listen to it. I get it. But functionally, you click subscribe. It goes into your little, that little part where you don't have to do a search now or nothing like this. <laughs> and boom, you know, it's in your, it's in your whole thing. It's part of your day. Part of your day. It's part of your life. So I think I'm actually correct. Yes. And your initial assessment of my statement is wrong. Okay. When you subscribe, you take one step further down the path. That is true. <laughs> you are All correct. Right, cool. And don't forget about the Grounded podcast, which I'm sure we'll do another one. And don't forget about the Warrior Kid podcast, which I will get some of those done. And don't forget about Warrior Kid Soap, irishoaksranch.com. It's a warrior kid who's actually got a business going, young Aiden, mm-hmm. making soap so that what we, his contribution to society, making soap so that we all can. Stay clean. <laughs> yep. Also, YouTube for the video version of this podcast. A lot of people watch it. Makes sense. In fact, you know, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes the video version will come out, you know, a half day, mm-hmm. sometimes even a day later than the than yeah. the audio. Some people freak out about that. Well. Where's the YouTube? Where's the, when, when's it coming out? And it's kind of like, hey, the no, they say, when's the podcast coming out? I say, brother, the podcast been out. But and I'm like, no, you know what? They like they watch it mm-hmm. and it makes sense too. Mm-hmm. smart TVs and whatnot. Nonetheless, we do have a YouTube channel for this 
method of consumption. You know Ty Young Ty from Origin? Yes, I do. He, him and his friends, they like on a Friday night, they'll like uh, put put YouTube on and just watch the podcast, watch Rogan's podcast, whatever. Yeah. Like that's that's what they're doing. Yeah. As if they're watching UFC, but no, they're watching us talk about, you know, patent right. or whatever. Yeah, well, and it kind of makes sense where you, when you think about it, okay, so the content wise, okay, good. The content is the content. It's good content. But to sit around and watch, like, remember, like, old school back in the day? I don't know, 60 Minutes. I'm sure it's still on, but mm. whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, 60 Minutes special with, I don't know, Michael Jordan or what, I don't know, whoever they have on there. And mm-hmm. it's just one person talking to the other person, asking questions, mm-hmm. or Q&A, essentially. I guess people Super watched same. it. This yeah. is the same thing. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Except the content's a little bit different, of course. So that's saying Content's sure. better. I think it's better, yes. You know what's, I mean, yeah, because 60 minutes isn't even 60 minutes. Yeah. Because like, there's commercials in there, and then there's three stories, so you're actually getting 12 minutes or seven yeah. minutes. Oh, what, what, do you, what can you learn about Patton's theories of combat in seven minutes? You just learn, like, maybe partially one of them. Maybe. 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 You know, Don't depth. do that. Nonetheless, Ty, keep that up, um, and all his friends hanging with him. Yeah, man, keep that up. That's good. Psychological warfare. Oh, yeah, YouTube channel. Yeah, we have a YouTube channel. That's that was the point of my whole uh, thing. Oh, and people should subscribe to it. I say they should. Yeah, the th- so it's okay. beneficial. It is the thing that's cool is your it influences what you see on your YouTube home homepage. Right. Which I'm look. I have YouTube Red. Me too. Or whatever now. YouTube Premium. Yeah, yeah. They right. called yeah. it now. It used to be Red. I'm yeah. old school. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And look, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to make Google more money by telling you to get YouTube Red yeah. or YouTube Premium. But it's nine bucks a month, and you don't have to watch a single advertisement on YouTube ever again. Oh yeah, because they'll sneak them in the middle of the podcast. They'll People, sneak them in. I know. I saw on YouTube comments on one of our podcasts, someone said, "Uh." Can't believe you're advertising, and I can't believe the advertisement that popped up at whatever. Yeah. And I said, can't believe you won't pay nine dollars a month and never have or have to watch the advertisement again. Uh, Premium YouTube, yeah. worth every penny. I, think I don't so throw too. that out there either, man. You know me; I don't like to spend that extra money. Right, and and but it does make sense because, like, okay, so I have like a, a handful of YouTube channels. Mm-hmm. And they're not all premium. So when I go to the other channels to do whatever, and then I like whatever, forget to sign back in or oh. whatever, and then the commercial will pop up. I'm like, bro, like, you're ah, like traumatized. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's an event. It's yeah. an event. Yeah. That'll happen to me. Like, uh, I'll be my, I'll be one of my kids will show me something. Oh, hey, watch this YouTube video. And so they're like, I'll go, oh, cool. Let me see. And they pass me their phone or whatever. Oh. I'll click play. <laughs> and I'll uh, pop some advertisement. Yep. And I'll throw the phone at the wall. <laughs> Get a job <laughs> and get YouTube premium. Anyways, yeah, don't forget about psychological warfare on <clears throat> iTunes, Google Play, MP3 platforms. A little something to help you maintain your discipline when it counts. And also to help you maintain your discipline, we got Flipside Canvas, which is owned by Dakota Meyer, to help you visually maintain your discipline. Also got Warrior Kid stuff on there. We got Mikey and the Dragon stuff on there. All kinds of good stuff on flipsidecanvas.com. As far as books go, got some books. We got the Leadership Strategy and Tactics Field Manual. Thank you, everyone, for getting that book. Appreciate it. It's live now in stores everywhere. If you need to get some for every single human being that you know, you can get them. They're available. 
got Way of the Warrior Kid 3 and Way of the Warrior Kid 2 and Way of the Warrior Kid 1. So check those out as well. If you have a kid, if you know a kid, if you want to help a kid, if you want to help a kid become a better human being and to literally have a better life, get them those books. Mikey and the Dragons, same thing. Kids are scared. The world is a horrible place. Let, let them learn how to overcome their fear. Mikey and the Dragons. Discipline goes Freedom Field Manual. How to get after it. Extreme Ownership, Dichotomy of Leadership. Myself and my brother Leif Babin talking about the principles that we learned in combat and how you can apply them into your business and into your life too. You can also have one of us come and talk to your company. One of us on the Echelon front team. You know who they are. And what we do is solve problems through leadership. So go to echelonfront.com for details on that. EF Online. Leadership training is not an inoculation. You need to follow up. You need to drill. And the way you do that is with efonline.com, interactive leadership training. We have the muster. Muster coming up. Go to extremeownership.com if you want to come to a two-day seminar, conference, engagement about leadership. There's three of them this year. Everyone that we've ever done has sold out. These are going to sell out too. And once they sell out, you can't come. And there's nothing we can do about it. We can't, like, we have the space and then it sells out. There's no more space. So if you want to come, go to extremeownership.com. And then EF Overwatch and EF Legion. If you need people at your business that know how to win and know how to lead and understand extreme ownership and the principles therein, then go to EF EF Legion or EF Overwatch. And if you are a military veteran transitioning out of the military and transitioning into your next mission, go to EF Overwatch or EF Legion. And we will connect you with the company that is waiting for you to come and lead. And if you want to hear more from Echo Charles, if you want to hear more from me, if you have a question, a comment, an answer, then you can... Get in touch with us through the interwebs on Twitter, on Instagram, and on the face. Echo is at Echo Charles, and I am at Jocko Willink. And thanks to everyone for listening to this podcast. A podcast that would not be possible without your support. So thanks for listening, and thanks for spreading the word, and thanks for telling your friends, and thanks for getting some DEFCOR gear or some Origin gear, all of which supports the podcast. And of course, the true reason for this podcast's existence is because of the safety and security we receive from the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines who defend us with their very lives. So thanks to all of you and to our police and law enforcement, our firefighters and paramedics, our EMTs and dispatchers, our correctional officers and border patrol and secret service, and all of you first responders, you also provide us with safety and security, and we thank you for that. And to everyone else out there, remember remember that like what Patton said, all heroes are not storybook combat fighters. No, every single man plays a vital role. 
Everybody has a job to do. Every man is a vital link in a great chain. Every man does his job. So don't ever think that the job that you're doing is unimportant. You're playing a role. And Patton makes it clear that when you're doing your job, the key is don't ever let up. Don't ever let up. Instead, every minute of every day, go out there and get after it. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko. Out.